On October 14, 1957, the USSR launched Sputnik 1, the first artificial Earth satellite. This triggered the space race between the Soviets and Americans, and four months later, the Americans launched Explorer 1. Now, the world's two nuclear powers had breached the upper atmosphere and entered space. What did they find? Whatever it was, their response was to immediately begin nuking the sky. Between the two nations, they launched 22 high-altitude nuclear explosions, which ended abruptly in 1962. Interestingly, the U.S.'s third round of Hain tests was called Operation Fishbowl. In December of 1959, after over a century of increasingly successful Antarctic exploration, 12 nations, including the U.S. and USSR, signed on to the Antarctic Treaty, which set aside most of the continent as a haven for quote-unquote scientific study and banned any military activity there. From then on, no nation would be allowed to claim any territory beyond 60 degrees south latitude, despite claims of immense natural resources. Why would these nations agree to forfeit access to these resources? What did they find? And thus, in the course of five years, the world's superpowers discovered the upper and outer barriers of the world as we know it. Damn. <laughs> Damn. Welcome to Flat Earth. Uh, this, is, this is an episode that I've been wanting to do for a very long time. Today we're going to talk about the Flat Earth conspiracy theory, the mother of all conspiracy theories, the Alpha and Omega, the one that makes everything else irrelevant. For the rest of your <laughs> tiny, pathetic lives. Well, we're not tiny and pathetic. We're actually very important. We're very important and special. Or we are tiny. We, it's, it's, it's still it's up in the, the air. It's the same time. Yeah, it's yeah. up in the air. Yeah. According to Flat Earth. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, I'm ready. My body is ready <laughs> to receive the wisdom <laughs> of the Flat Earth. Hey, new year, new me. Yeah. Know? Yeah. <laughs> new year, new uh, cosmology. Yeah. New absolutely. cosmology. Who this? Uh, new cosmology, meet the same, meet the new cosmology, same as the old cosmology. Um, Except it's not, it's completely different. <laughs> it is. <laughs> so, obviously, as we all know, the concept of a flat earth is not new. In fact, throughout ancient times, it was very commonly accepted across all the major world religions that the world was uh, a flat plane that was surrounded on its sides by some kind of structure, very often pillars, and um, enclosed from above by a solid firmament that contained the sun and the moon and the, the stars. And from actually, so Genesis 1-6 says, Then God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And now that water is space? <laughs> and God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. So, yeah, the, the, this notion of like waters that, that prior to the creation of the earth, there's just this sort of unknown like substance that they call waters. And then God separates them with this solid firmament. And that's how he makes us. Smart. I, that's how I would have done it. Yeah, and in this Hebrew conception, there are pillars along the sides that hold up the, the glass firmament and pillars under the earth that hold it up. Yeah. So, so the, the, the firmament, just for my, you know, less developed brain to conceive, uh, it, it has 
the atmosphere within it. So like all of the rain and like the birds and the stuff that's like above people, but isn't like the outer atmosphere and space, like outer atmosphere and space is a firmament. It's like yeah, a separate all the, thing up there. All the stuff that's in our sky is in here with us. The stuff that's not is the, according to the ancient conception, the sun and the moon and the planets and the stars. Okay. God, obviously. Yeah. Right. So, so everything as we understand yeah, like birds and clouds, those in are... space is the firmament. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I, I, that will change a bit when we get to flat earth, to modern flat earth. But okay. in the concept, yeah, in the ancient conception, yes. At what minute marker are we on? We're like two minutes in maybe uh we are we have roughly five minutes in I five think. minutes in i've already had a revelation oh oh my god <laughs> please do share joe pesci's character in the irishman is a flat earther what he's he tells a joke to uh robert de niro's daughter uh-huh it says uh um uh you know why the sky is so high up so the little birds don't hit their heads when they're up there so it was believed that in those days that the firmament was quite low. Yeah. That birds would scrape up against the top. Like, that birds oh, were kind of flying yeah. at the top of the firmament. So he's, he's like, subtly, because, you know, Mark Sargent says... You well, know, they don't think don't, that now, though. That you, was, don't, you, don't, you don't, like, say flat earth up front, right? You talk uh, yeah. about other things. The first rule of flat club. <laughs> you don't talk about That's flat club. That's a legit yeah. direct quote from yeah. him. The first rule of flat club is you don't talk about flat club. Right. So, so flat club's a real thing? <laughs> of course. This coming from a man who wear, constantly wears <laughs> nothing shirt. but flat earth shirts. If, if you haven't seen the Netflix documentary Under the Dome, which I'm actually not going to talk about that much because it's, I don't really think it's that great. But, uh, go watch Mark's, it. Yeah, go watch it. Um, but Mark Sargent is like the kind of main like flat earth character in the show but anyway um but yeah he's uh, joe pesci's character's name i don't remember very clearly is like you know open you know just nudging open the door get that uh get you know everyone to talk about the flat earth yeah so in ancient times <laughs> uh hebrews egyptians so, i'm sorry you're not ready for that truth i'm sorry <laughs> Uh, Hebrews, Egyptians, Mesopotamians, Greeks, Norse, Norse, Germanic, and East and South Asians, like all generally believe that the earth was flat. But then in the 6th century BC, you have uh, kind of the, the earliest known debates arguing that the earth is maybe not flat. Maybe it's, maybe it's round. Specifically Pythagoras. Um, but it, it really wasn't until like 300 years later when Aristotle offered his three proofs that the earth world was flat that it got any real traction and even then it took a very long time for it to be accepted by a majority of scholars it's um, cool that aristotle made a listicle about how the earth is <laughs> yeah i know right? so, so it, it, aristotle uh created the proofs that the earth is round yeah aristotle had like three basic pieces of evidence that he offered for why he thought the earth was round um one was that ships disappear over the horizon uh another one i don't remember the third was that the constellations in the sky change as you go further south. Okay, yeah. So, like, things that are kind of the very early foundations of why of how we got to the heliocentric model, right? Like yeah, Copernicus yeah. in the 1400s. Um, the difference being that Aristotle just knows the attention economy of ancient Greece way better than anyone else, right? It's <laughs> like, three big reasons why. 
The earth is round. One, your mom doesn't understand you. No, I, Aristotle was definitely a BuzzFeed-esque writer, yeah. I would say, for, for the Greeks. Because everything he writes is very... Well, part of it is that he was like a really lazy professor who just published their course notes as books. Like Awesome. Um, that's a lot of Aristotle's yeah, writings great. that we have are just kind of collections of his lectures. But anyway, um, so throughout the like early Christian period, you have lots of debates about what the shape of the earth is. And that goes well into the like late Middle Ages. There was kind of a split between um, universities and the sort of the more vernacular beliefs, what like the common people would have thought of the shape of the earth. But Mostly we're getting to the point where everybody thinks it's round and then you get Copernicus who offers the heliocentric model and then that's when it really becomes like mainstream accepted. Mm -hmm. um, and so even after we were starting to get toward a body of scientific knowledge that led us to believe that the earth was round, it was still really hard to get rid of the notion of the firmament. Even Copernicus still believed that the stars were embedded in some kind of solid dome. And then you get to uh, the modern flat earth movement, which actually doesn't really pick up until 1849 with this guy, Samuel Robotham, who performed all these tests and published a pamphlet, as you do, um, under the pseudonym Parallax. Wrote some medium posts. Parallax. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And then that's the start of kind of the modern flat earth movement. Parallax is way better than QAnon. Yeah. Yeah. Very scientific. Yeah. yeah. Optics. He believes in optics, but not in cosmology. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he's like, no, y'all got it wrong, actually. And was he a a, a biblical Christian, like a literalist? Was um, that where he found most of his reasoning? No, he was a doctor, um, but he was religious. And I haven't read his. Uh, there's his writing was turned it later turned into a book towards the end of his career, and you can find it online. I haven't read all of it; it's pretty boring. Um, but a lot, you'll see this like in a lot of flat earth is a really wonderful mingling of like science and what we would call pseudoscience, but they consider it to be science and religion. Um, so it's kind of hard to separate the two. Because think about it. If you believe it to be true that we are living on a flat, entirely enclosed plane and we've been tricked into thinking that it's round, that implies some creator, right? Oh yeah, or and we'll least, talk about this later. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, some type of create it is it is uh, it, flat earthers. Are you're saying are um uh they're they're not naturalists. They're they're people who believe that the material stuff that our world is didn't just come about through natural processes, but in fact was like um intelligently designed, it, and yeah, engineered. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, like the Earth is an artifact as our living beings right of a creator that shaped the material stuff like a potter does clay yes into like the world and like animals and stuff living on it that's a, it that's the general there are some people who push back against any kind of religious connotation for flat earth and thus any notion of like a creator as we would think of it but yeah generally speaking most flat earthers strike me seem to be somewhat religious okay and and so you you called 19th century flat earthers with their pamphlets, the modern flat earth movement. It's sort of what, what yeah. distinguishes in that it's, it's really the, in some ways it's the first flat earth movement Yeah, because prior to that, you kind of just have this philosophical debate among thinkers and scientists. And then you have this period of acceptance where there's nobody really around saying that the earth is flat. And then you get this uh, sort of burgeoning movement in the mid 19th century of, 
starting with this uh, Dr. Robotham and then bleeding over into others until you eventually get the creation of the Flat Earth Society. Um, so uh, let's, let me talk a little bit about Samuel Robotham because it's kind of funny. So um, well, his big experiment, which is something that people, Flat Earthers to this day still cite as evidence, was called the Bedford Level Experiment, where he went into this really long canal. This was in England. And he observed a ship continuously for six miles without disappearing, which would rebut Aristotle's experiment saying that it, the ships could go three miles. It, it, according to what the curvature of the Earth is, you should be able to see about three miles out to the horizon. So for him, being able to see the ship for six miles meant the Earth is, the earth is flat. But later, when the experiments were repeated by another scientist who accounted for what we call atmospheric refraction which is the way that light bends around the curvature of the earth, uh, it proves the curvature. So that, that experiment, basically iterations of that exact, exact experiment are the like, like meat and potatoes of flat eartherism is how come I can see something that's so far away? So that's kind of where it begins and that's where it continues to this day. What, what is like the bridge? Because I know we're going to talk a lot about like the internet phenomenon of flat earth, but like what's the bridge through the 20th century that keeps flat earth alive? Or is it just uh, like, is there just like a really big gap in the resume of flat earth? Um, n- not really. I mean, so in 1956, th- it never really takes off until the internet age, but there is a somewhat continuous line from these, um, from these kind of movements and these thinkers. So in 1956, another guy, Samuel Shenton, starts the International Flat Earth Research Society, which became known as the Flat Earth Society. And it never, it, I think it had at most like 3,000 members. Their biggest goal was to actually reach children before this globe model education could, could like get, get it mm. in their, in their clutches. Yeah, exactly. And then it kind of petered out and then it was revived as a forum in 2004. And that's when the posters get their hands on it. And then it becomes sort of what we now know as Flat Earth, the sort of modern conspiracy theory. Uh, Fun fact for you, David. Dr. Samuel Robotham, the father of modern Flat Earth theory, uh, also designed a what he called a life-preserving cylindrical railway carriage. Hell yeah. And I want to show you a picture of this thing. It was really hard to keep this from you. While I was preparing yeah, for yeah, this is impressive. This, um, is, is it- this episode, but this is what it looks like, and I'll post this uh, to the Instagram. So what you're looking at is a train car, a standard train car <laughs> that is encompassed in what looks kind of like a whiskey barrel with no top or bottom, um, just like a round thing of wood. Right. And he said that this would uh, prevent pretty much any like accidental death or injury so the for train, train riders. So it's a gigantic wheel and that the car is attached to the spoke in it, it dangles ha- from the bottom as it's a hanging. pendulum yeah. uh, inside, inside of a giant spoke. wheel. Yeah. yeah, it's sort of like have you ever seen the uniwheel? Right. It used yeah. to be my yeah. icon on like uh, Discord or whatever, but it's this picture it's like the old uh, thing they actually built. They were really goofy as hell, but they had of, you know, like a 6 foot diameter wheel that you like get inside of and you ride around like on a motorcycle but it's just got one wheel it's moving around on the outside and you and the engine and everything else is this pendulum yeah yeah yeah. 
So that pretty much brings us to the modern day flat earth theory. Um, you kind of starts you, off. Do you with know this. what came? Sorry, do you know what came first? The the uncrashable car or his flat earth obsession? Oh, I don't. Um, I feel I, like I'm one, sure I could find out pretty easily. One, you want me to one, look? No, it's fine. No, it's fine. It just it just definitely seems like one inspires the other. He also these, had these a, are two very lo- big ideas. Well, he also that had I a find very copyright for he developed um fire resistant starch. Nice. Hmm. So it's pretty cool. This guy was a scientist. Yeah. He just was like missing key information when he came to his conclusion that the earth is flat. So uh, I figure we talk a little bit about the actual design of this flat earth. Please. Because that to me is kind of the most interesting part of it. Um, and I bring, I take a lot of this from Mark Sargent, who is one of the bigger names in Flat Earth on YouTube. And if you've seen the Netflix documentary, it's that guy wearing the shirt. Um, but he has a YouTube series called uh, Flat Earth Clues that goes from like beginning to end all of the big kind of important elements of Flat Earth. So some of this is taken from that and then others is taken from a bunch of forum posts and various other YouTube accounts. You did your own research. I did. As, 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 as he so often implores. As Mark would say, yeah. this stuff is out there. Do your own research. Um, unlike Mark Sargent, I'm not going to give you my phone number and personal email address so that you can get in touch with me. Fun fact, one day I got pretty drunk and called Mark Sargent, <laughs> left him a voicemail, and then promptly forgot that I did it until the next day when he called me back. Um, he's a nice guy. So anyway, <laughs> uh, I remember you waking up the next day like, oh no, <laughs> I, I called Mark Sargent. I, called I think I left him a pretty fucked up voicemail. <laughs> nice. So the Earth is a flat, motionless disk um, enclosed from above by an impenetrable firmament and surrounded by an impenetrable wall of ice that we call Antarctica. So the firmament is like a snow globe. It's like the see-through plastic exactly. of the globe. And then Antarctica is like a little wall, relatively little wall that goes up, like stop a, a uh, smart monkey yes. from getting... Yeah, how, how tall is Antarctica's wall? It is... According to Mark Sargent... It's about 10,000 feet tall. Um, and, and we wow. actually go to, there was, a, there was that's, an adventurer that's pretty damn tall. who went yeah. to the Arctic, and we'll talk about him in a little bit. He said that it was 150 feet tall. Um, that's different. That's different. Uh, but he, sa- he also said he couldn't see the top. Oh. He well. estimated that it was at least 150 feet tall, and he couldn't see the top, and he couldn't see the end. Hmm. So, yeah, snow globe, uh, Mark Sargent compares it to a terrarium or right. even a nature preserve. And he has this really great analogy where he talks about how in a, if you create like a, a garden environment or a nature preserve and you put animals in it, the animals will, assuming the territory is large enough, they'll explore, they'll find the fence, they'll inspect it, and then they'll move on with their lives because they don't have... What else you know, are you going to do? Yeah, what else are you going to do? Oh, I guess I can't go this way. Yeah. If you take humans and you put them in that same nature preserve and they reach a fence and they can see that there is something beyond that fence, they will fixate. They will never leave that fence again. It's all they will do is try to figure out how to get beyond the fence. Um, And so that's why this design has to be so like complex and robust is to fight that human instinct to obsess over the limits of our, you know, movement and freedom. But wouldn't like a weather balloon or a um 
airplane or a glider or even just like a drone be able to easily conquer that? Like, you know, it'd be very easy to prove to everybody if you could peer over or see the edge of the wall in the firmament and their connection. It's very high and it's very cold. Yeah. And so even mechanics have a difficult time operating in like Mm. the the very, very center of the Antarctic continent. Mm. Um, So that's sort of part of his argument is that like, how do you combat this human need to seek out the very ends of our territory? You make it so impassable and so inhospitable that they will just assume that it is basically the butt of your globe world because that's easier and an easier conception. And then if you have the idea that you can move outward, you become less obsessed with that barrier, right? Mm. And so that's where the firmament kicks in, as well as like the fake NASA program and all of the like fake ex- space exploration stuff is all to convince us that there is still infinity, that we are not trapped. Fun fact, the largest geodesic dome is in Long Island. Or the, the largest residential geodesic dome is in Long Island, but the largest geodesic dome of all time is in Omaha, Nebraska. What is a geodesic dome? It's, you know, like the Epcot ball. Yeah, Buckminster oh, Fuller. Bucky ball. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Buckminster yeah. Fuller, Smarty Pants, uh, made a, the geodesic dome, which is basically a way of um, making a sphere into a polygon. Uh, where all the polygons are equidistant uh, triangles. And so you just like break out the surface with a certain amount of vertices and uh, you build the dome. And what's cool is that the dome like holds itself like pretty uh, efficiently. It's very lightweight. It's very lightweight. But strong structure. Yeah. Yeah. And and then... Like a D20. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then the... That's the uh, simplest probably, yeah. And you you can uh, relay it back to flat earth in that the... uh, Buckminster Fuller would do the opposite with the planet instead of like making a globe out of lots of triangles he took the globe earth that he mistakenly thought the earth was a globe and and flattened it out uh into a series of triangles that he that uh, that he calls a dimaxian projection map that is only slightly different from the flat er, the the flat earth map what? Yeah. The, it's very different. Well, it's it's different in like the way that it like centers the centers. north pole. It's entirely, it's 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 almost the opposite like. Well, it doesn't turn Antarctica into yeah. a wall. It doesn't but, turn That's but that's the whole yeah. point of yeah. the flat earth map. Yeah. Yeah. Is that Antarctica is the wall. Yeah. That's yeah. what well, makes it I so the part that's the same is that it like all it, like the plant, the the continents are like an archipelago in, in the middle which I I find could be kind of mm. It's like if you took to look at it's like if you took spinning a record and looking or spinning the earth as a conception of like spinning a record and you were looking at it from the top and like somehow the bottom of the earth or Antarctica was spread out to the very outside, like a spun out pizza or something. So we have a firmament. That's a dome. We have Antarctica, which is actually a wall that is hundreds of thousands, possibly it's 10,000 10, feet. 10,000 feet According tall. to Mark Sargent. 10,000 feet tall. So, okay, maybe we should talk about this guy, uh, Richard E. Bird. Right. Because that's who Sargent relies on a lot to kind of spin this narrative of how we found out that Antarctica is a barrier. Um, it, 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 he, Sargent seems to make him a lot more like prominent and important than I have found him to be in other sources. But anyway... He was a he was an Arct- Antarctic explorer. He was a Medal of Honor winner, an aircraft navigator. He led several ep- expeditions into Antarctica. 
He's also the youngest admiral in the history of the Navy. Uh, Sergeant calls him Indiana Jones on steroids. <laughs> Literally on steroids. Yeah. <laughs> oh, really? No, no. Oh. <laughs> Allegedly. I don't know. <laughs> um, so he was a part of several missions to Antarctica, including a military opera- operation called High Jump. Hmm. As in jumping over a gigantic wall. Right. Uh, Mark Sargent even suggests that, so why was this military operation going there? He suggests that maybe they were chasing a Nazi fleet or looking for a Nazi base, which Nazis in Antarctica has not yet been a movie, but it really needs to be. But it's egregious oversight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If we've had Nazis on the moon, we can have Nazis in Antarctica. So... Bird said that exploration was key to your that Ant- Antarctic exploration was really important for U.S. security and that it would open up a whole new understanding of the world. According to him, he said that after Antarctic exploration, everything would change. And he said these in TV interviews. Um, he said that the area beyond the South Pole was as big as the United States; that no one had ever set foot there, and that he expected yearly expeditions after that. He said that it was a very valuable and important. Um, area for like resources coal oil minerals uranium at that time lots of nations were exploring antarctic including the antarctic including russia australia argentina chile new zealand and then you get operation deep freeze in 1955 and 1956 and after that operation all explore all exploration ends forever and you get the 1959 treaty that bans all countries from trying to claim any um, land in Antarctica. So they call it deep freeze because it's cold. <laughs> yeah, I think because it was so cold. No. Oh, okay. Because they're putting all research on Antarctica into a metaphorical deep freeze, as in we're not doing it anymore. It's right. Suspended. Yeah. That's what it really it's, means. It, it means that they're freezing the truth. Yes. So is what it really. So all these. Com- all these governments and uh, powerful interests spent the money and resources and lives to like go and explore and find riches and then be like, but nope. Well, so that's the point is that they found the wall. And if they were to allow in military access, scientific exploration, resource mining, the wall would be discovered. And that would upend society and the world as we know it. Which if the exterior also, of our world was discovered and made known to the public, everything, society would collapse. So are these flat earthers therefore trying to bring about the collapse of society? They or? just want the truth, man. Okay. They so, just want the truth. So do they believe that society would collapse if it suddenly realized it was in a walled in, in firmament? Oh, we'll, we'll get into that. Okay. We'll get into that. All right. um, we'll get into some of the implications and how that is to me a really interesting and important facet of flat earth ideology because that's where kind of some of the more that's where the most interesting analysis happens and you don't see as much of that you see so much like debunking and you see these episode these uh documentaries like the netflix one that are all about like this interpersonal bullshit and just like not that interesting in terms of getting to the root of like what flat earth means to these people okay yeah this is not just a this is not like this is what I love about Flat Earth. It is not the JFK assassination, okay? It is not, it, it's not 9-11 trutherism. Like, this is a deeply philosophical, spiritual conspiracy theory that lies at the heart of, like, people's values and what they want out of the world. And in the documentary, even, 
it for all its flaws it does have mark Sargent say several times and i think other people too that un- explicitly unlike 9-11 truthers uh flat earth tr- flat earth is very positive yes right it's a it's a very hopeful yeah so let's talk about story. that let's talk about that towards the yeah end. yeah we'll talk about that towards the end but it's i think that's interesting that um that that is a big part of it is how uh how it is it it does kind of feel like 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 exploration uh so the could you remind us of the um the timeline of when we suddenly stop looking into antarctica and when we also stop shooting uh nuclear missiles into the atmosphere so the antarctic treaty is in 1959 and the end of the high altitude nuclear explosions is in 1962 so within like three years, we find the wall and we're like, how high does the wall go? And so we start shooting Presumably the wall was it. found in 56. Yeah. And the nuclear testing ended in 62. Yeah. So like at the top, I said within five years. Yeah. Um, we had discovered all of the boundaries of our, our, of planet, our world. Our world. Yeah. I shouldn't say planet. It's not planet. <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> so do they believe in the firmament being like a hem- hemidome? So yeah. Let's, okay. So let's, let's move forward with that. Um, so essentially we have you have a flat plane with this relatively relative to the dome short wall of ice that's inhospitable and impassable. Yep, yep. And then you have this massive um high density like very technologically sophisticated dome that our nukes are incapable of piercing. Um but the theory goes that we've tried it. We've tried it. That's what those hot, those wow. hand tests were. Was the basically the powers that be discovering the dome and nuking the fuck out of it because they freaked out that they couldn't. This was at the beginning of the ra- the space race in the Cold War, and like they were counting on being able to put satellites in the air that could intercept missiles, that could spy, that could do all be all of these like useful military applications. And they found that there was a big dome. So these people don't believe that satellites are real. That they're oh, like, that's a whole bag of worms. Um, no, basically. Uh, some, well, some, yeah, I mean, like, some say that sat- satellites are just like high altitude but like, objects. Look, looking but, up at like the ISS and like seeing it like carve and the ISS is not real. No, wow. Oh, no, the ISS is definitely faked. I've seen it. So it's, it's, <laughs> I think pro- seen it. it's, it's so programmed into part the, the firmament. We'll get into this, but okay. this is the beauty of the firmament. And why so much debunking is not persuasive to flat earthers is that if the firmament firmament is a planetarium, if it's a screen upon which things are projected, you can you can suddenly not use any astronomy to disprove flat Earth. Yeah, because it's a projection. Yeah, of course. Of course, we have eclipses. That's what they yeah. they want you to see eclipses. But what about all the the high altitude video that people take? It's like, fake. But there's a lot of like amateur that do. But it. You can't see a curvature though. Yeah. <laughs> no, you can't. It's a trick of the lens. It's a trick of the lens. It's a fisheye, or it's been doctored, or it's, or it's a, a some kind of trick of the atmosphere, af- atmospheric refraction, or something. Yeah, but there's no. The firmament is designed to make you think it. You sit on a globe, so anything well, that you find. Usually, people just say there's right? no curvature. Yeah. What about? That's usually what people say. Yeah. What about? Um... I say that all the time. <laughs> Just like, uh, uh, sir, this is a Wendy's. There's no curvature, right? Or like, you know, I, he I, does. He wakes up yeah. and I'm like, "How did you sleep last night?" And he's like, "There's no, there's curvature. no curvature." Yeah. <laughs> so I got him a new pillow for Christmas. I think that's what he meant. It so, was. Thank you for hearing me. <laughs> so the like, 
there there's so so many as you know like the listeners know i'm a mechanical engineer and there's so many questions that are like jumping into my mind and i'm not trying to ruin the magic of flat earth but like i'm wondering like how no, this they, is why i wanted to talk about okay this yeah because right. so, i knew you would so, try to ruin so, the magic of flat earth so you have this big circle right the perimeter wall they are saying that it in fact is like the what is it 8,000 miles in diameter, so three times that, so true, like 24,000-ish, 26,000-ish miles um, in circumference. Um, but according to ball theory, it should just be a single point. You should be able to just walk right over it and or that's like this the easiest thing to debunk right like yeah but nobody's ever done it nobody's nobody's ever walked around antarctica (laughs) it's true i mean that's that's just a fact nobody's ever nobody's ever gone over the the point where the wall would be besides these governments that like decided to never look at the problem No, nobody was ever able to get over the wall including the governments oh okay but the only people to ever visit the wall are the governments well and like a few explorers but like like a Bird. Like Bird. Yeah. So the thing I heard about Bird was I, I, Ironically when named. I went down a similar uh, tangential rabbit hole uh, at one point when I was like out of college for fun, uh, which was Hollow Earth. Oh, yeah, baby. And Bird featured very prominently in Hollow Earth because mm-hmm. Bird said all this stuff about this landscape they that is purported to be beyond the wall. Um. It's interesting that he gave it a size because if it were actually beyond yeah, that's not goal, him though that's Mark Sargent. Okay. That's All right. yeah. Uh but like he did talk about mastodons or some shit like like ancient animals that had like died out that we had uh, fossils of in the cultural like lore and understanding of. Um he said he saw a bunch of those. He uh, believed that it used to be like a forest. He believed that Antarctica at one point in history was um, like a rainforest it probably was i mean which is you, what led him to believe that there were all these natural resources there yeah, because yeah. you don't get natural right. resources unless things have lived someplace and that's al- how you get like oil and shit but. and also it's a continent whereas the north pole is just floating a magnetic pole with floating ice yeah. yeah yeah it's got sea and ice no there's land in antarctica yeah and that that's- and that land is used to be part of pangea which could have very well had at some point some sort of biological material yeah. on it yeah Okay, so so we've 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 gone up. What about down? Yes. So um, it's just it's just a table. So it's impossible to know how deep the flat Earth is. It's worth knowing that the deepest hole ever dug by human beings was only seven and a half miles. And Mark Sargent like squawks about that a lot. Like, how is it possible that that's as deep as we've gone? And yet we believe that it's all of you know that that it's this massive ball, and that you know China's on the other end of it. Um. And so for him, for, for Mark, like so much of this is about the, the design of it specifically. You want your borders to be um, not directly observable and impossible to get to. And as long as you keep it as such, it can seem natural. It doesn't feel artificial or designed or imposed because mm. now you just have, well, you have a lot of ice in Antarctica and, you know, we dealt with the dome by creating a fake space program, but with the core and the crust, well, we just know that we're, there is a big ball of magma down there. And so, of course, we can't like get to that. Things get too dense and they get too hot and we can't go down there. Um, he believes that there is essentially like a mechanism that produces magma. And he estimates that, you know, the crust could be as, you know, long as maybe 100 miles 
but wow. it won't matter because we can't get that low because it's a scaling. So the outer wall is a scaling decrease in temperature to the point where it's uninhabitable. The um, upper atmosphere, a scaling decrease in temperature to the point where it's uninhabitable. And, and then the crust and oxygen, the same with Antarctica yeah. as well. And then the crust, a scaling increase in temperature to the point where it's in- uninhabitable. And these are mechanisms to allow us to believe that we live in a natural environment in the shape of a sphere. Mm, mm. Now, the, the, what about how fast you'd have to be moving in the southern uh, like continents? You know, like as you get toward the rim of this flat earth going uh, radially, you know, tangential to the radius um, of the um, connection from you to the South Pole, you would be, according to the, the map of the flat earth, traveling an incredible distance in the physical time that it would take you not to be, you know, if you were to chart out how far you're going to like on the, the base of South Africa... According to their maps, it'd be a very big area. Yeah, it'd be real stretched out. And if you were traveling in a car, you know, and you're measuring how fast you're going, and you look divided up by the time, you know, or uh, multiply by the time, you'd figure out how many miles you went, and like you could, you know. So they do. So there is some stuff uh, I've seen where they go through um, old navigational logs from ships during the Great Age of like ship exploration, and. They pick out these inconsistencies in ships' logs about how it took, you know, longer to get to this point. I don't remember the so geological formation. From like Johannesburg to from like, Perth like South or Africa yeah. to you know, you know, yeah. Um, but they're very spurious claims. Yeah. Now there are there is some more technologically sophisticated claims regarding distances in the southern continent that are very interesting that I do want to get into. But yes, essentially they do believe that the exterior barrier of antarctica makes the south all much more further apart than we believe it to be oh so they literally think it's just incredibly vast amounts of stretches of ocean and um land the land is like very vast down well fortunately there's not a ton of land down there there's australia which is at the very very edge of that must get multiplied by a lot right a lot yes but they don't really get into it too much because that would be very easily Provable, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah, it ruins the magic. But you the, just the, get a really long tape measure and walk across at, like <laughs> well, Australia. <laughs> also, what, do they even confront the whole um, uh, ancient Greek, like Pythagorean um, uh, gauging of? Because you know Pythagoras uh, back in, you, like you had said, in the BC era, uh, calculated the um, diameter of the planet um, as a ball model. Um, to a degree of like plus or minus five percent or something. I don't think that was Pythagoras. I think that was Euclid, wasn't it? Or what? not? Or maybe not. Anyway, yeah, it was, it was either. Pi- yeah, no, it's, it's fine. We don't know, but it's uh, Pythagoras. I think Euclid, it might be or, um, uh, was uh, Ares- Ptolemy. 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 I think yeah. In the third century BCE, Eratosthenes of Cyrene became the first known person to calculate the circumference of the Earth. Now you know. But uh, the idea of like calculating it from the um, sun's shadow, projected shadow, at two different uh, latitudes um, where they could at the same time the day and they lined up on the same longitude, um, they could calculate the curvature of the planet by the difference in the length of shadow cast on a totally plumb um uh what do you call it obelisk Um, obelisk. right 
And so using, you know, thus such a coarse measuring stick and trying to measure it very, very accurately, these guys figured out how to, you know, determine the, the shape of the earth for like really accurately. So like, well, we understood when we went into space. So like, what does flat earth talk about that? So, so this, I guess is a good way to get to the final, the, the two final sort of physical elements of the flat earth structure. Mm-hmm. Um, One thing I want to mention though, real quick about Australia and how, how Australia might confirm flat earth cosmology is that the center of Australia is in, un, uninhabitable. Yes. So it's is. very difficult. Isn't it convenient? It is very that convenient. Australia is not very easy to live on. To traverse. Yeah, and traverse. Because it's really people only... Uh, there's a joke in Australia that, um, among architects, that Australia is suburbs with a desert in the middle. Yeah. And, and well, gee, we can't accurately firsthand experience how big Australia is. Because it gets too hot. So this is something that actually, and we can get into this a little bit later about my problem with a lot of this debunking, but that the movements of the sun and the like earth, you know, moon phases and eclipses and all that stuff is very often thrown out to debunk flat eartherism. Mm -hmm. But the problem with flat eartherism is that if the, if the firmament is composed of projections highly technologically advanced projections yeah yeah then they and can model the sun a, and the moon yeah. are um the, a lot of uh representations of flat earth show the sun and the moon kind of like the hour and minute hands on a clock yeah, yeah. and if that is the case then yes like it doesn't it the, like those things are compatible with the flat earth model who are you gonna believe me or your lying firmament Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so it gets uh, colder and less oxygen as you go up and out, and it gets much hotter and denser if you go down. Yeah. Uh, but then, like, so then what's the point of, like, a volcano or, like, the Marianas mm. Trench? Like, why are these things... Wh- how, how do they explain in Flat Earth? Yeah, so volcanoes are... They serve both a practical purpose of actually creating new land, which, you know, if the flat earth is a contained system, it does need its own mechanisms for reproducing itself, volcanoes being one of them. Um, but that all of that can be, according to Mark Sargent, that that's a, a, a mechanic, essentially. That's part of the design. That's something that it's, it does what it's supposed to do, which is to inspire awe, right? Yeah. A lot of the diversity of our natural world is designed to inspire awe, which we'll get to a little bit later. Like, why are we here? What does it mean? Yeah. Um, so so a, a, a possible technological explanation for the underside of the crust would be like a big skillet. Yes, a big exactly. Insulated a skillet. big, like, and, yeah. And the, you know, the, the flat earth creator or creators or whatever um, are, you know, like adjusting the temperature settings to create volcanoes and shit like that. Yes. And, then, and then the volcano is like a billboard for all of the surface dwellers to say, hey, down here is hot stuff. Yes. So don't even bother looking because clearly or do look look yeah. into the abyss yeah. and see what it inspires in you right you know which would be uh, there's a fun little we'll we'll, we'll do it later but yeah it, so it it is like part of its purpose is to be different from the rest of its environment like that's how this whole environment has been designed is to have a massive amount of diversity mm. 
And all of that helps to distract you from, remember, the borders of your world. It is very distracting. Yeah, I, have, yeah, I haven't noticed those, those borders yet. Man, you know how many classes I missed in grad school because I was thinking about volcanoes? <laughs> At least like two and a half. I think I missed two and was late for one. I keep trying to get to the edge of the earth, but I keep getting distracted by volcanoes. <laughs> I was looking like, oh, wow. So big and loud and, and hot. So, so hot. So hot. Give me a virgin. I need to throw one of these in here. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so that's mostly it for the structure of the flat earth. Right. I don't know. Do you guys have any, like any oh, burning I, questions I know, with regards to the rest of it? Or I are going to pop up. Pun intended. It's just like. <laughs> or, I, or freezing questions. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'll stop I, asking questions about the firmament because the idea that it's just like a giant LCD screen from like a master race that's way like more complex than us or God or something. Um, yeah, you it, have to think like, of it like a planetarium. Yeah, because they, pretty much. yeah, because, like, you know, they could manipulate based on parallax uh, technology or whatever from wherever you were sitting on the ball, hypothetical ball earth that is in fact flat. Like they could fake it. You know, with a, enough technology in sure. terms of the sky, so you can't look at for evidence at all up there. And we so know it's that just on Earth. Like, what, if you can find evidence that we're besides, you know, the way the light works and stuff. And we'll find this over and over. This is the brilliance of the flat Earth conspiracy, yeah. and why, to me, it is the conspiracy to end all conspiracies. Yeah. Is because if it is all designed, it's similar to sort of like a world order, like kind of a Jew conspiracy, in which, like, if everything is engineered, how do you ever prove anything wrong? You can't. Like, you really get to a point where, like, you just can't disprove things. That's why, like, I can't disprove why every four years we have a, a laser light show timed to Pink Floyd that naturally occurs. <laughs> yeah, science planet. can't explain that. Yeah, you can't explain that, except for that we live on a planetarium. <laughs> right. We live inside a planetarium, and just every once in a while, you know, they they buy the copyrights to uh, Dark Side of the Moon, and they play it into a laser light show. Yeah. Uh, teenagers can, uh, you know, uh, yeah. take some Molly oh, oh. and go watch a... Uh, you know, go to the planetarium instead of going to the, you know, the, 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 the nightclubs, you know, get them interested in yeah. science. And the malt, the malt shop. The malt shops. <laughs> uh, how do they explain tides? Uh, just, I mean, they're, like, they're Magnets. not uh, different. Uh, the, here's where you get into flat earth not being a monolith is that okay. like some believe in gravity, some don't, some believe that the moon can cause the tides like that. It's not even necessarily that the moon and the sun are only projections. They could actually be real bodies that exist. They could there. be like a real ball moon. It could be like, like a real mall, ball moon. Like hanging Many above people believe the that it is still fucking up like because gravity is I, still I a thing. I said earlier like hands on a clock. Yeah. Many believe that they are actual objects here under the firmament with us that operate like the hands of a clock that they spin. Yeah. The moon slightly faster than the sun, which is why you get the phases and but yeah. So there was uh, studying the um, the the hollow earth theory um, with some depth back in the day. One of the things that was interesting is that if you take the um, generally understood model of gravitational attraction with the inverse square law because of like the field phenomena, um, if you were to take a planet that's like as dense in terms of its total mass, like as massive as Earth. But you would give it, like, say, a 10-mile interior radius and made it hollow. Mm -hmm. And you made that material, like, beyond what we can measure because we can only dig down, like you said, like, six miles or something. Um, it gets, like, incredibly dense so that it, like, follows 
all of our mathematical projections of like how much gravitational acceleration you should have toward the center. If you were to pierce through that layer and somehow be like fired through it, your experience of gravity would like essentially linearly go down as you moved through a continuous thickness of material. Uh, not quite linearly, like a little bit of a curve to it. But then as soon as you were inside of a perfect sphere that was, you know, 10 miles thick, but, you know, 8,000 miles in diameter, um, you would have no gravitational acceleration to anything because it being perfectly evenly distributed and the inverse square law being what it is and the wrapping of material around a sphere being what it is, you're equally attracted to all points in all directions and that this is true for every single point inside of that sphere. Right. So, so everyone's in a polycule. Yeah. You're basically a in gravitational, this gravitational polycule. Uh, yeah, a cuddle puddle <laughs> with, with, with everything else. And the and center of the earth is a cuddle puddle. So is puddle. that what keeps the sun in place? Well, well so it, 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 we could do, do a whole episode on hollow earth and I forget a lot Coming of it. soon. But, <laughs> June 2020. Ironweeds does hollow earth. <laughs> But one of the things that was interesting about it was that this is actually the concept, or the agreed on conception is mathematically, if you were to enter a big, massive, gravitationally important um, object that you would, as you went through it, if it were somehow really hollow, like incredibly dense on the outside, you'd experience nothing. And that that um, is, is a weird thing to think about. So a lot of flat earthers believe that the atmosphere is pushing down on yeah. things and that's what makes you fall. Yeah. Um, the argument being like, they often call this um, empirical observation, kind of stealing from science a little bit, right? Um, and the Cartesian method of being skeptical, whatever, that uh, it makes more sense that when a something falls, it's being pushed than that it's being pulled, mm. which is, I don't know why that why one is better than the other but many but it's flat earth skeptics who don't believe in gravity will often say that things are pushed to the ground not pulled whereas other flat earthers do believe in gravity huh. and so that would expl help explain the tides but again like the the kind of the tides question and weather in general people a lot of these like mainstream outlets that will try to debunk flat earth no such well, thing as tides. <laughs> well, well, tides are manufactured. So, like, you'll see, you know, <laughs> that you'll see, like, Vice that, does, yeah. uh, you know, five reasons that Flat Earth can't be real. Uh, eclipses. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, Those kinds of debunkings, like, show themselves to have no understanding of how Flat Earth actually operates as an ideological system. Yeah, yeah. Because if you live in a fully contained world that was designed by a creator to trick you into thinking that it was a globe... All of those things are explained away through engineering, right? And any technology yeah. sufficiently advanced will appear to us as magic. True. And so we can develop all of these complex equ equations and these, you know, uh, ideas about the natural world that help to explain these things to us. But if you try to then use those to prove a certain type of system, that can always be rebutted with the yeah. with the refrain that well yes but the weather is manufactured the seasons are manufactured yes of course the sun moves throughout the year because it creates seasons and that is what our creator wants our environment to be like there, so, there's wow. a whole there's a whole mark Sargent episode in uh in it, or the episode of his youtube series where he he starts off talking about optical illusions mm -hmm. right and how quickly you can 
create this like baseline of understanding and observation uh through illusions and yeah he talks about like the ballerina that spins left or right and you can kind of trick your brain into uh-huh. perceiving it either way or, or, the, or the dress which was very popular he talks about the dress it, it seems like at the time that he was making the youtube video like that was coming out at the exact same time and mm-hmm. yeah do you uh, remember the dress chris there is no dress. Is it? <laughs> I once got into a heated debate at a bar with somebody about the dress. They thought that anybody who saw it as uh, white and gold was stupid. And as somebody who saw it as white and yeah, gold, I, I took great offense. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, uh, so one other thing before we, we move on, you mentioned, Brittany, that, um, you know, that, that, that flat earth isn't a monolith and that there's lots of arguments about the heavenly bodies but there's also arguments about like you know we we said that there's that you know like we're a disc that has with a finite uh uh diameter with walls on it and then a globe on top but even that isn't totally decided right because there's like the infinite plane model yeah right? so there's like a bunch of other things where like we're just like one well the instance general, the, on, the, a, on yeah. a wide plane right the general consensus is that the basics of structure that we've talked about the wall the firmament yeah, yeah, yeah. crust those are all true the great the, wall some of the debates begin with what is outside right and that's that's <laughs> sort of no but i what i love it's about awesome. that is that it, it allows awesome. for this creative explosion of flat yeah, it's a great thought it's a great where, question what yeah. is i mean it is it, well it is it is totally analogous to how uh the notion of an infinite universe creates like has this massive creative potential oh, yeah. right it or allows us very big finite we universe. write lots of sci-fi we imagine whole other worlds we yeah. develop technology so that we can send it to mars the same thing happens with flat earth mm. in terms of what exists beyond the dome so there's like a truman show flat earth where like mark Sargent mm-hmm. talks so fucking much about the truman show right like, we'll get into that whole thing but yes yeah like, it's literally a stage set for a television show yeah like that, yeah, yeah that, that's like one model of flat earth i'm sure we'll have a fun something recently happened that will kind of fuck with uh mark Sargent's whole notion of the fourth wall and like the tv set idea but uh, that'll be fun we'll get to that but so all of this brings us to what I will call the problems of the globe model. These are the things about round Earth that are per- like troubling to flat earthers. Okay. The first is straightforward like perception, what they would call empirical reasoning, what you feel. So you are supposedly sp- rapidly spinning on this ball that is spinning around the sun that is spinning around in a galaxy that is flying through the universe, and yet you feel nothing. Yeah. Right? Do you Do you guys feel dizzy at all? No. Yeah. No. no? Well, not, not just not me. Fun. I think yeah. it's a sketch. Yeah. <laughs> so we aren't spinning. We aren't flying through space. We don't feel any of these things, and we also don't see the curvature. Mm. And people, there are so many videos online of people saying, "Like, I should see the curvature. Where's the curvature?" People send balloons up. They say they don't see the curvature. Like, that's the lens. And then they're like, well, like, put a different lens on there. Like, that's the other lens. <laughs> yeah. Like, pretty much it's either a trick of the eye or like, and, and in a lot of these, like, with the, the type, you have to be so high to see the curvature of the earth. I yeah. I don't remember yeah. how much it is. It's like 10,000 miles. But, or something. but it's you like can... higher than commercial aircraft can fly to really see the curvature of the earth. And you have to have perfect weather conditions. Yeah. You have to have a cloudless sky. You have to have a, a particular temperature you have to have a particular atmospheric pressure to actually be able to see uh 
weed joke. <laughs> but like, you know, all the video from, you know, like the ISS, which is crazy. The by ISS the way. doesn't exist though. Uh, all right. But <laughs> just saying. I'm just giving you a taste of how you can't use something from the ISS to do butter. You, but yeah. please go on. No, no, I, I understand. The whole thing is like manufactured to be undebunkable. And like the whole problem comes down to like the curvature of the earth is really, really gradual. Like it's really, really gradual. Yes. So it's like almost imperceivable. Like you can perceive it if you use modern instruments. No, and no, no. But that's not entirely true though. Because Aristotle perceived the curvature of the earth by watching a ship yeah, in the harbor. Yeah, true. So it's pretty basic. You so could, you could do it with your eyes if under you're most patient. conditions. <laughs> <laughs> under most Through conditions the technology of motivation. <laughs> once a body is about three miles away, the curvature of the earth should obscure it. By the time it, it by a certain you see, amount, yeah, you see by the see, time it's six miles away, yeah, you see. You unless see it's very the, tall, you really shouldn't be able to see it at and all. If it is really tall, you see the bottom disappear before the top. But there are plenty of quote unquote experiments that yeah. flat earthers do where they can see the entirety of a structure that is so far away it shouldn't be visible. Yeah. Wasn't there like a thing in the documentary in the Netflix the series where like the guy like literally disproved? <laughs> so it, that actually happens twice in the Netflix series. And it happens a few times in other flat earth contexts as well. But But let's like be generous and say that... Uh, these are reasonably scientifically minded people, which I make the argument that they are, though not scientific in the way that most of us conceive of it. But they are a lot of them are very analytic yeah, thinkers yeah. and they want something in their eyeballs to prove to them that there's a curvature. And one kind of sticky wicket in flat earth theory is atmospheric refraction, which is essentially the denser the atmosphere gets depending on certain weather conditions and the closer to the surface of the earth it gets, it refracts light such that it obscures the curvature. Similar to a mirage, right? Yeah, yeah. In a very hot, arid desert, yeah. you get a mirage. Yeah. And what that is, is you can see much, much farther away than you would in any other type of climate or weather condition. And it makes you think that things are closer than they are. Or it makes you think that there's water where it's not because yeah. of the optical illusion of it. Yeah, it's... it's, it's it, yeah. It shivers. Yeah. Sh so like I, I, re I, I briefly mentioned the Bedford level experiment that the kind of father of modern earth flatter theory did, which was where he could see a boat that was six miles away. Mm -hmm. So the experiment was replicated later by literally just somebody who raised the observation metrics by, I think it was something like 12 inches and put a point in the center. And so then what that allows you to do is look through it accounts for the ref the atmospheric refraction because it's a little bit higher away from the earth's surface mm -hmm. so the specific atmospheric density it doesn't play as much of a role and then by creating a middle point you can see where that third and final point is relative yeah. to yeah so it's a pretty easily disproven experiment and yet it is done over and over and over again by flat earthers because they want, want to see it they want to see it but also this is the kind of catch-22 of the atmospheric refraction is that it varies. Yeah, based on the weather. Based on weather conditions. Yeah. So you could go out one day and you might see for more miles than you think you should be able to see and then yeah. go out a few days later and now you suddenly can't. Yeah. Um, there's this one, it's called the Bishop Experiment, which is more recent. And in it's this guy, Tom Bishop, who lives in Monterey Bay, California. And he says that he can see across the bay 23 miles to this other beach. It's called like Lover's Point or something like that. And he says that with what he calls a very good telescope, he can see 
across the bay 23 miles and watch children playing on the beach and people sunbathing. Sicko. <laughs> He's a fucking perv. <laughs> now, in a global model, this is impossible. There is no structure 23 miles away that you would really be able to see. You certainly would not be able to see the coast of a beach 23 miles away. Yeah, no, no. After three miles, it would drop off. Yeah. Depending on, like, altitude differences. Yeah. But, so, Tom Bishop has never released the details of his optics. Because, like, people from the military have come out and said, like, I have access to the most advanced, like, optical technology in the world and i can't see 23 miles yeah, away. Yeah, so yeah. what the fuck are you using he's never released any details about the telescope that he uses at least it's and- full of child porn <laughs> <laughs> this dude's a pervert it's disgusting so the other the reasonable explanation is that actually three miles away from his from his base observation point is a whole other beach and a lot of people think that he just saw that beach this three miles away <laughs> <laughs> and I've been on forums where people argue about this. Yeah. And there are like actual like true believers who come on and say, we have to get rid of this Bishop experiment because yeah. everybody knows that he was just looking at the wrong beach. Yeah. And it, it makes us look like fucking rubes. It's also like they're really tall things. Like, you know. You, you, but it has to be can, super tall to you, get past that curvature threshold. Yeah. But like, you know, if you were to like look at Devil's Tower or something like that, you know, or. um just like something that's like very specific and you know how big it is and it's really fucking tall. <laughs> so you can, you can just measure it. You can be like, all right. Anyway. I, I th- well, so you mentioned the Netflix documentary yeah, yeah. with the, so at the very end of the, the, and it's a very wonderful closing to the documentary. And I think it's very artfully done. And I have my own problems with the, with the doc, but when they, so they do this experiment where they're spoiler on a relatively flat plane and they're holding up a flashlight relative to these certain like panels that they've set up. And their argument is that if there is a curvature, they should have to hold the light higher. And if there isn't, they should be able to keep it level and they'll see through these panels. And, you know, spoiler alert, at the end, the guy's like, I can't see it. Can you raise it above your head? And he raises it above his head and the light comes and it's like... And, and the There's li- the curvature. <laughs> <laughs> and the very, the very great, great experimental design. Yeah, like yeah. you're, you're a scientist. As long what as is, you accept right, your. Yeah. Uh, so I want to actual- get into. Yeah, well, I want to talk the, a little the, bit the, about the very last scene in the documentary is him going, huh? Yeah, so nice. good. Yeah. So, um, but that's the scientific method. Yeah, you're right? a scientist yeah. if you publish yeah. those findings and, and stand by them and be like, right. yeah, as far as I can tell, the, where are those curves. <laughs> so there are two conceptions of science. Uh, to that, that there, what one thing that is very different about like our notion of science, which is right, like the institutional science is where you come up with a hypothesis and then you prove it wrong, mm. and you spend a lot of time trying or to prove, prove it wrong. Right. Yeah, but most, but Mostly, but you only yeah. prove it right by proof by, by trying to exactly, prove it yeah, wrong. Right. And so the measure of good science is how much have you tried to prove it wrong. Mm-hmm. But that's not how flat Earth scientism operates. And here I'm using scientism instead of like science because scientism is sort of like an approach to science. Mm-hmm. Um, for flat Earth, it's not you don't gain knowledge by proving something wrong; you gain it by proving it right. And we sort of have uh, there's a big divide between those things, and we see one as legitimate and one as illegitimate. Mm-hmm. And there may be very good reasons for that, but I think that's something we have to really interrogate in terms of science education and. I don't think that a good enough argument has been made for the model of proving things wrong. What if there is, is, is there any flat earth model that's about, um, mass, uh, uh, mind control? 
that we're all having literally just our material existence when we measure things is coming out false because it's well, all like, you know, this is one a, reason why I said illusion. like I, I said earlier that um, flat earth is the alpha and omega of conspiracy theories. Yeah, yeah. It is the beginning and the end. It is the biggest conspiracy that can possibly exist. So yes, mind control is absolutely can be part of it. So, and so some it, people do talk about that. So it turns out that we are all living in a simulation as, you know, popularized recently by Elon Musk uh, in a computer. But that computer is... And that idea has been popular for a very long time. But long that, before Elon Musk was definitely, a his father's eye. But yes. I agree with you. Um, but that computer is in fact sitting on a flat earth. <laughs> yeah much like a much like a floppy disk yeah yeah <laughs> and that shit has a frame and a wall so okay so problems with the globe model you have perception right mm. i don't feel like i'm spinning and i can't see the curve you also have the fake moon landing and the fake space program and i don't really want to spend a ton of time talking about the moon conspiracy because it's already all been so yeah, yeah. first of up. all all the technical details are super boring and they've all been debunked like a bajillion times yeah. go to we the wikipedia the page for like the fake moon landing conspiracy they explain all of it but if you again live under this model in which everything can be falsified very easily by either the powers that be or your creator then like none of that debunking really matters so i do really love though that mark Sargent. As like evidence, Mark Sargent uses as evidence that we didn't go to the moon as how many, how few movies have been made about going to the moon. <laughs> so you want to talk about that? Yeah, I absolutely want to talk <laughs> well, about that. There, there was one movie that came out that was internationally famous um, about the moon landing. The video from the moon landing. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, so it had you already fucking, been done. You fucking cheap. You think yeah. that was real? Oh my god! Yeah, I feel like this is actually kind of. It's an interesting point. Is it's that been like done. so? Mark Sargent. Well, they, but this is the most like amazing thing humans have have ever done, and we just never bothered to make a movie out of it. Yeah. Except the original. Except well, no, but like a narrative. But okay, right? like how a, many World War II movies have been made? Oh, the answer is like 18 million. Yeah, a lot. And how many moon landings channel. have been made? How many moon landings? How many movies have been made about the moon landing? Well, millions of people died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but did any of them go to the moon? No, no. Um, Only like a handful of human beings went to the moon. So I think it was like and they 12. Were all white yeah. men. No, but like, there's been like 12 people on the moon. Were, th- yeah. were there any women on the moon? No. No. It was all white men. All white men went to the All moon. white men. It's because they're the only ones that can keep a secret. Yeah. Bitches be gossiping. <laughs> <laughs> can't, you can't be throwing no women up on the fake moon. They would come home. They would tell all their girlfriends. Girl. They go to the hair salon. Becky. Becky. Look, bitch. <laughs> you cannot tell anybody that I told you this. Okay. Don't tell anybody that I told you this. Becky. Becky. Seriously. The moon is like not real. <laughs> so like <laughs> So you know how you know how like three years ago I was on that moon mission and I like went up there and I put the flag and dude that shit is like like Kubrick was directing. I mean, we were on a soundstage and Stanley Kubrick is back there and he told me to take my top off. I was like, I'm not doing that, Stanley. I'm not doing that. I'm what not does doing my top that. have to do about the moon? <laughs> so anyway, um, so he wants me. He told me he wanted me to get his moon rocks off. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Mark Sargent makes this argument that um, there's a lot to be interrogated about pop culture and space fiction. So he says um, that basically the like cultural popular cultural conceptions of the moon landing are their purpose is they are they're designed by the powers that be and their purpose is to reinforce the globe model through assumption and the entertainment dominant dominant narrative. And there are two major groups of space films. There's fantasy and there is near future. There's a third group, but it's incredibly rare, which is fact-based films on the moon landing. What what about like the hyper-realistic versions? Of- so like there's Apollo 13 is the one you're thinking of with Tom Hanks. Yeah. Right. Well, well if, if you're a flat earther, then you think that the ISS web feed, which you can, you guys, you know, if you haven't. It's on a soundstage. If you're, yeah. yeah. If you're listening to this and you haven't checked this out, you've got to check it out. It's pretty, it rules. There's a 24 seven feed of high definition video from the ISS hundred percent of the time. It's either looking at earth or it's looking at like a spacewalk from like earlier in the day or it's like, you know, and some of it's live, some of it's like, you know, a, a, a earlier compilation but there's like a, an incredibly good feed. So um, Mark Sargent, one of his big complaints is that there has never been a 180 degree full view of the earth from a spacewalk. And in 2017, uh, Russian cosmonauts on the ISS documented the first 360 degree spacewalk. And it's very, very cool. It's, uh, it's on RT. Just Google like spacewalk 360 degrees and you'll find it. But you can manipulate the video and look wherever you want and you can see the entire like lit face of the earth and the ISS and like you can look and in every single direction. So so is now Mark Sargent like a Russia gate? Uh, like <laughs> that's a good question. I don't know. That, like resistance I have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to admit to not keeping up much with what Mark Sargent has done recently. I guess maybe at this point it's a good idea to say that the reason that I know a lot of stuff about Flat Earth is that the day after I defended my dissertation, which would have been in, I guess, June or July, June 2017, um, was the first day in as long as I could remember when I could do whatever I want with no obligations to anybody because I was just waiting on revisions and I didn't have a single fucking thing in the whole world to do. Oh, that magic feeling. (laughs) And what I did with that time was I watched like 14 hours of Flat Earth Earth YouTube videos. Good choice. Thank you. And Uh, there was a one about how um, stuff like the devil's... Mountains are trees. Mountains are trees. Yes, that's a a good conspiracy theory on its own. Mountains are awesome. Mountains are petrified uh, tree trunks. Yeah, and here we are exploiting the fruits of your labor. Yeah. Years in the future. So Mark Sargent's argument is where are all the nonfiction, like dramatic movies about or the fiction. moon landing? Well, well, based on a true story, oh, okay. basically, okay. like, you know, like, dra- dra- like dramatizations of the facts of the moon landing. Why don't we have like, yeah. why do we have 18 billion movies about World War Two or even about like, I mean, all kinds of like there's movies about yeah. like, uh, you know, everything. And Hollywood is, as he says, leaves no stone unturned. They are constantly looking for that. They need that content. How many Avengers movies are we going to get before we get a movie about 
the moon landing. Maybe or any of the moon landing. Maybe that's the real government conspiracy. Maybe people, the government is trying to get us less fascinated about the outer space and the like. I think there's there there might actually be a ruling class initiative to get people less excited about the natural world, the universe, and our place in it. If for only the obvious like change of people's perspective about how precious and incredible it is to be on this earth and how we like ought to protect it and take care of one another. And th- like, there is something to be said about how like every single astronaut that comes home. Yeah. Like, it's like, basically, basically a socialist. A communist. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. like a communist, like almost overnight, like there's almost actually all. <laughs> point to be made about that. There, there's um, a couple that aren't like Buzz Aldrin famously, like, you know, <laughs> right. was, was, yeah. Was, but, but yeah, there's, um, Mark Sargent makes a similar argument in which he says that he, he argues that all, Hollywood is run by authority, by oh. what we might call these powers that be. Yeah. And that um, this, th- that's why so much of Hollywood is geared toward fantasy and not to the real historical events. Yeah. It, doing historical materialism in film could be very disruptive to the interests Absolutely. Of, of the few. And doing... That's why podcasts are so revolutionary. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The eternal it, science of podcasting. But yeah, but also just like thinking on the planetary level on any real amount of your time makes you, at least for me, I mean, can I, I can only speak from personal um, uh, experience, but the more I think about cosmological things and planetary things and species level things, the more I just like realize we need to, with a great deal of haste, you know, unite as a human population and like take care of one it's another. It's not like a fucking flat earther. Yeah, but like we're just gonna get the, there, but 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 it, it, flat earther or globe earther, but just the the idea that like out there, whether it's the firmament or if it's the you know unhospitable, potentially unintelligent. Co- vacuum and cosmos of like everything else it has this experience the more you think about it especially if like your material needs are already are like are taken care of to the point where you're not like struggling for survival like yeah we are in a rare position on this planet whether yeah. you know and we should really figure out how to so along those lines actually uh, mark Sargent talks about how after the astronauts got back from there's a documentary called astronauts gone crazy I think it's gone wild or something. Is it, I think that that's. Maybe it's I think gone it's crazy. gone crazy. Because <laughs> yeah, if it was okay. gone wild, so it'd be <laughs> more intense. I think. Yeah. <laughs> but basically, this documentarian tried to get all of the astronauts that he could find and confront in public to swear on a Bible that they went to the moon, and of the ones he found, not a single one did it. And Mark Sargent's argument about oh this God. is that... Imagine coming back from the moon and some dipshit coming up to you and being like, I demand you swear on this Bible that you went to the moon. Like, it's like shoving a Super 8 camera in your face. Well, there, 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 there was a flat earther that got knocked the fuck out. Yeah, not the fuck yeah. in the Starbucks. Yeah, dude. That guy is also, I think, in the Netflix documentary. Yes, it, it, yeah. at the very beginning. Was he, it, and is Buzz Aldrin? I, what, no, no, Buzz Aldrin was already guy. dead at that point. Yeah. Um, it was. I can't remember which one it was. It was no, one of the, yeah, it, it's a guy in the dude that gets beat up in the in the Starbucks. It, you first see him. He's um, uh, 
balancing a ping pong ball between two hammers and saying like the, well, the elements all, no, all, all, no all the different uh states in the but he also region. does like the and elements of the, the periodic table later, yeah. Yeah, yeah he says he has a brain coach yeah so he's super smart he's <laughs> he's really smart he's taken all of the brain pills yeah. you know what I, here's <laughs> his my nootropic stack is a is as high as the antarctic <laughs> so wall. much paracetam hell yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hell here's yeah. my hot take i think that that guy probably is really really smart sure. and i actually think that a lot of people who believe in flat earth are quite intelligent yeah they just are operating on an entirely different premise of what is provable and what is relevant to their lives and and I, I i don't think that they're dumb people i don't even think they're crazy i think that they're just living in a different reality than us they've aimed their intelligence at like a very strange set and of, look i spent items, i've yeah. spent a long time researching a lot of flat earth shit and there's still stuff i can't explain which we'll get into yeah but- let's let's uh well, so, okay, so we talked about the moon landing. So here, so here to bring us back, we're talking about the problems of flat earth. What, or the problems of the globular model, right? Like what brings people to flat earth? And so we talked about perception, right? And we talked about the fake moon landing. And I, and I did mention this new, like, not new, but 360 degree video from Russians on yeah. the ISS, which the, the, you the should really news, check out. It's the very Russian, cool. The Russian space yeah. fake news. <clears throat> you know, a big problem is that like, so there's a lot of goalpost moving in flat earth as well. So like uh, some flat earthers will tell you that there are no, that every photograph that we have of the earth is a composite image. Yeah. This is not true. We have lots and lots of photos of the earth that are not composite images. None of them show the entire earth without any shadow. And the reason for that is that the sun is only on half of the earth at a time and it's not super great to get directly between the sun and the earth for like all of the shit that you need to stay in space. So like that's a big problem. Um, yeah, that, that's true. But but you have yeah. like the blue marble photo, which is probably the most famous photo of the earth that exists, and yeah. it is like ninety percent of the earth, sh- you know, like in in sunlight. It's not doctored. It's not a composite photo. It is exactly as the earth looks from space. And so then. You know, the pushing the goalposts is okay. Well, so then you just can't trust photos, like because they're so easily manipulated and so easily doctored. So that's another like driving force behind what keeps up this conspiracy yeah. theory, because NASA does produce highly edited CGI composite photos of the Earth to give people an idea of what it looks like, right? Yeah, but they uh, also have the live stream video yes, from the ISS, yes. you know? It's like, but here's another part. So here's a part of the problem. Is there's that a if, live stream of it. This is a real can, thing. If you can create movies yeah. of space travel yeah, then you that can, are very convincing, exactly. well, that, that's the whole such thing. as like Gravity or, you know, like there's tons of movies yeah. out there about space travel that look very convincing. The The whole theory rests on there being, for some reason, an incredibly important functional like reason why a incredibly powerful group of people are hiding the fact that we are on this earth. Uh, we'll get like, there, friendo. It, yeah, it's just like... We'll get there. <laughs> Don't you worry. So another element of the problem of the globe model that a lot of flat earthers are pretty hung up on is the distances in the southern hemisphere and chris you brought this up earlier right so if the if antarctica is the external barrier of our world and the north pole is the center that means that south america 
Southern Africa and Australia are all much farther apart than we would have ever thought that they were, right? Yeah. And this is a point that Mark Sargent brings up in some of his Flat Earth videos. Um, he, he talks about how uh, trying to book a flight from somewhere in South America to somewhere in Australia is absurdly difficult and doesn't follow what we would think of as the normal like aviation paths of a plane given a globe model. So he talks about these flights from, you know, Buenos Aires that go up into like um, North America and Europe and like all over like weird spots in the globe to try to get to Australia. And he says, as he says in so many of his videos, try it yourself. See what happens. <laughs> this is all out there for you. Yeah, all you have to do private, is research it. Yeah, just try your private jet or... Yeah, well, you know, I mean, he wants you to look at, so there are like dirigible. flight tracking. <laughs> Get up in a balloon, see for yourself. Right. Um, there actually is a guy who has done that. We'll talk about him later. His name is Mad Mike Hughes. But, um, so basically, Mark Sargent's advice is to go on these flight tracking websites or try to book flights and see what kind of strange things happen to you. So I went on the flight tracker website, which shows all the planes active in the whole world. And his argument is that there are no planes crossing, for example, like the South Atlantic between, so you're thinking now where like South America, the, let's say the Eastern coast of South America from there to the Southern tip of Africa to Australia, right? You're imagining okay. your, your map, you're thinking a plane would just fly from Buenos Aires over maybe the tip of Africa into Perth Sydney or, or Perth or Melbourne or, or Auckland in New Zealand or wherever else. Um, and he says that like this flight is impossible. Like you cannot book that flight. Um, they do not exist. If they do exist, the travel times are totally way off. And you can verify this by two ways, by watching flight tracker websites where all the planes are registered and you can watch them go. Or you can try to just straight up like go on a travel site and book it yourself. So uh, I followed his advice and I did this. I uh, spent a lot of time watching some of the major flight tracker websites. Um, there are very few flights crossing both the Southern Atlantic and the Southern Pacific and the Indian Ocean. Like there are not, if you compare it relative to the North Atlantic or like the North Pacific, much fewer flights. Um, that is true. But there are some, and he says that there should be none. And given a flat Earth model, if the tip of South America is at an extreme opposite distance from Australia, you would think that it would be practically impossible, or at the very least, the most onerous journey you could possibly make in the world, right? Yeah, to get that flight. Because, in, because yeah. instead of a globe where you could fairly quickly go around like the southern pole of the earth or at least going around yeah you know traveling uh, like a, you would <laughs> a latitude yeah like going around latitude yeah. instead you, what you are in fact doing on the flat earth model is going either around the perimeter of a giant disc or trying to go across a giant disc right yes. so it's it's much much further should be much yeah. further yes so I, I did a little bit of tracking. I booked a couple of flights. I didn't go on any of them. And I imagine that some flat earther out there would say, well, you didn't actually fly on the flight. So who knows if that's actually, you know, that that's the beauty of flat earth, right? Is that somebody could just say, I didn't fly from Buenos Aires to Sydney. So how do I know that anything happened? But 
Um, so according to Mark Sargent's understanding of flood of travel in the Southern continent, if I wanted to go from Buenos Aires, um, and I wanted to get to Sydney, Australia, um, while the globe model would tell me that that's a hop, skip and a jump away, the flat earth model shows that those are on two opposite sides of the disc. So I tried to book a couple flights from Buenos Aires to Sydney. And these two locations are 11,800 kilometers apart. That's air travel. And when I booked these flights, the most common layovers were Santiago, Chile, uh, Auckland, New Zealand, and then a combo Dallas or Houston, LA layover. All of the flights went to the West. None of them went East to like South Africa and then to Australia, which is what you might think would be the natural route. Um, but all of them went to the West. Hmm. And North. And North. West and North. None, well, you can't go South because there are no airports in Antarctica. In Antarctica right. Yeah. yeah. But, but the, the point being that if the, if the Earth were a disc, then what you're doing is flying across the disc. So or, or like from one tangent to another. Like, yeah. You're yeah. flying to its extreme opposite. So you right. may like his argument in the videos is that when you try to book from, you know, Buenos Aires to Sydney, you end up in France and then you end up in, you know, India. And then yet, no, none of that was the case when I looked at booking flights. Uh, I used Travelocity, which is what he recommends in the video. I did not find any of that. All of the routes were very reasonable. And they ranged in time from 19 hours to 46 hours was the range of flight times. And that's, you know, not including whatever layers there. There were no direct flights, which is interesting. Not a single one. Yeah. So I decided to look at a similar flight path. I looked at New York City to Delhi, which is 11,400 kilometers. So 400 kilometers shorter than uh, Buenos Aires to Sydney. And I found stops in Amsterdam, Paris, London, nothing super different than what you would find in stops going from Argentina to Australia. And the average travel time was 14 to 37 hours. So shorter than the uh, similar Argentina to Australia flight times, which are 19 to 46. So you got 19 to 46 and then you got 14 to 37 for a relatively similar distance. Like, distance. So then I thought, well, probably like population centers make a difference, right? I mean, a big city to a big city, New York to Tokyo, two of like the largest cities in the world, is not really the same as Buenos Aires to Sydney, which are still big cities, but nowhere near the size of New York to Tokyo. So I figured I would find population centers that were relatively analogous. So I picked Chicago, which is pretty similar to Buenos Aires. And Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, which is pretty similar to um, Sydney. It's 11,200 kilometers, so relatively similar to the original one. And when you say similar, you mean population size. I mean, so so in this second it, second test I'm doing, it's similar population size and similar distance. Okay. Between them. Yeah. Between yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, so the city centers are pretty much the same size, and the distance between them is pretty much the same size. And I found that flight times were 15 to 38 hours. So still shorter than Buenos Aires to Sydney. Mm. So I've now I feel like I've accounted for a couple of factors and I'm still getting shorter flight times. Yeah. So then I thought, well, what if I did the extremes? 
What if I found two flight, a flight pattern with cities of similar size, but they are at the global extremes. They're as far apart as they can really get. On the flat globe. On, on the globe globe. Globe globe. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like on opposite, a, a, a connecting line would drop through the center of the earth. Yeah. So the point being that on a globe, they would be the extremes. Okay. But they are relative to the flat earth extremes being that South America and Australia are on opposite ends of the world. Okay. So I picked Madrid and Auckland, which is 19,500 kilometers apart, roughly half the circumference of the Earth. These are pretty much two global extremes. Mm -hmm. And uh, surprise, surprise, flight times are much longer than they are between the supposed flat Earth extremes of Buenos Aires and Sydney. They're 25 to 47 hours. I'm sorry. I, I didn't follow that last bit. So is this proving or what it comes down to is so it's it kind of does both, actually. So what this comes down to is that in a flat earth model, Buenos Aires and Sydney are polar extremes. They're on opposite ends of the earth. And flight times are longer than what you would expect given other relative distances. Okay. Which we proved through the first two sessions. Yep. So when I took the the extremes based on a globe model which would be Madrid to Auckland, right? Uh -huh. Those are opposite ends of the Earth. Yeah. Um, what a flat Earth model would suggest is that travel times would be the same, right? Okay. But in my finding, the globe model is longer and therefore more correct. <laughs> basically, <laughs> basically this data, and if anybody wants like a better breakdown of it, I can send you my notes and my math on it. Um, and, and, but essentially what it proves is that Buenos Aires and Auckland are not so far apart that it confirms a flat earth map okay but they still don't quite line up with equivalent northern hemisphere travel times they still take a little longer for reasons that i can't quite deduce well i mean what else are you looking into because while well, you were talking about all this i kept thinking about well you've got trade winds you have uh, various uh, functional hours of the work day between different, you know, time different zones. airlines have different aircrafts, yeah, which you, is a big part of it. Yeah, like you've you've got a lot of m many many complex cultural and economic like factors at play in air travel and what is ultimately dr the capitalist efficiency driven flight paths to maximize profit like that's like i'm really glad you brought right. that up because yeah. this was my ultimate conclusion when i kind of puzzled and puzzled and puzzled some more <laughs> um i just watched how the grinch stole christmas, christmas yeah. Yeah. as you all know my favorite christmas movie um my conclusion is that flight paths in the southern hemisphere do take longer and the reason is because western imperialism has spent the last 560 years uh, depressing the global South's economy. And it turns out they don't fucking vacation as much as we do. And we live in a capitalist global economy in which flights are based on supply and demand. And so, yeah, somebody wanting to go from New York to Tokyo or New York to Delhi or Chicago to Riyadh is going to have a lot more flight options than somebody wanting to go from Buenos Aires to Sydney. Right. Mm. That's why I asked, uh, when you say similar, do you mean by population? Because population... The raw amount of people can be the same, but those people can have very different. Which is why I tried to control for that. Control. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. And I think that's what ultimately empirically leads me to that conclusion is because I did 
and like I've only brought up a few examples here, but trust me, I did yeah. probably 30 different iterations of population size versus location versus tourism versus like, well, I can't do like, you know, Jinghao, China, because like, yeah, okay, that city has 5 million people, but it's yeah. not a tourist destination. I did like a ton of different iterations yeah. of this map. And what I found was that the global extremes based on a globe model yeah. are longer and harder to fly than what should be the disc extremes of a flat earth model, mm. which you wouldn't expect, right? You would think that if the tip of Argentina is the extreme polar opposite, the extreme disc opposite of, yeah. of Australia, then it would be the hardest possible flight to get. Yeah. And it's not. Yeah. It's, well, yeah. So instead of it's saying, easier like, to get from Spain to New Zealand than, or it's harder to get from Spain to New Zealand than it is to get from Argentina to the, New Zealand. The thing that nobody ever explained to me before we started recording this podcast was the idea of the flat Earth with the Antarctica is infinite, <laughs> completely surrounding the uh, the the. The circle. The disc. Yeah. yeah. Disc. We don't know if it's infinite, but well, we know that it's well, the it's external barrier. In the sense that it's, it's like, a circle. It's like a Mobius strip. It's like a circle. You know, it just keeps going. Yeah. Um, that is like the most extreme thing, in my opinion, to believe. And like, you know, the whole, I don't know, is it Occam's Raider or whatever that implies that, that um, the extraordinary uh, claims require extraordinary evidence? Like, that seems to be the most extraordinary claim. That like, in fact, that the and it's why flat earthers stick to it. It's so, they do talk a so lot about wild. it. It's so wild. And in my why own would research, that? there like, are discrepancies. But this is so where easy. you have to bring in sociology and yeah. understand that like global south tourism is not what global north tourism yeah. is. There's a fuck of a lot more people going from North America to Europe than there is going from South America to Australia. Yeah. Or, or if you know, like, uh. uh Chicago and Buenos Aires are um, comparable in population size, but not in travel ability. Travel ability based exactly. on economic yes. access. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's I think the point. Yeah, right. that's a that's a more elegant way of putting the point that I was ultimately trying to get at. Yes. Yeah. So, so what what flat earthers are um, stumbling upon is that uh, they they've discovered a cat like. Glo Western imperialism, Western imperialism, <laughs> like like global level, global uh, capitalist, co co continent inequality. scale inequalities. Yeah, yeah, and according to Mark Sargent and his model, it should be ultimately like functionally impossible to go from say Buenos Aires to Johannesburg, South Africa to Perth. Yeah, yeah. it is not impossible. There are plenty of flights that can get you yeah. there. Do they run as often as flights from JFK to Frankfurt to Tokyo? Yeah. No, they don't run as often. But maybe that's because there are fewer motherfuckers from Buenos Aires trying to get to Johannesburg and then Perth. Like, how many Latin Americans are vacationing in Australia versus how many Americans are going to Tokyo? It's like a really important facet of that. But if you're trying to look at it from this quote-unquote empirical Cartesian framework, where everything is kind of flattened. Data gets flattened. You don't have to deal with sociology. You don't hierarchies. have to deal with hierarchies. It's like the it aliens guy. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you don't have to ask any of those questions, then the fact that it can potentially take you 46 hours to get from Buenos Aires to Sydney 
feels like a massive outlier with no real explanation. Mm. Why would it ever take you 46 hours to get from Buenos Aires to Sydney? So when going to from Madrid to Auckland, a much more extreme distance, only takes 47 hours. So in this way, Flat Earth is the most similar to normal science. That it ever gets, right? Is in the moment where it ignores all social and economic factors in its uh, assessment of the truth. So in a fun, uh, in the spirit of moving the goalposts, I found on a, after doing all of this research and finding that like, it's weird, there is a discrepancy between distance and time traveled, but to my mind, it's explained by like a long history of Western imperialism and the limitations of like culture tourism in South America. I found on a board, this person saying that they had watched the flight tracker as Mark Sargent so diligently encouraged them to do, and that they saw flights going from South America across the Southern Atlantic into Southern Africa and then on to Australia. Yeah, as if there wasn't a wall that like they were riding on the very vast edge in Or as if they aren't twenty five thousand miles apart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Like they're supposed to be. Yeah. And uh the reply from the moderator of this forum, and this is the main like flat earth society forum. This is like the home of you know, the 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 movement. Um, the moderator tells them that uh, trackers should be treated with the derision they deserve. <laughs> <laughs> so what a great tension, right? I right. mean, you have Mark Sargent, the leading light of the Flat Earth movement, doing a whole 40-minute video on these flights and how they don't make any sense. And he talks about how planes will, like, drop off the GPS monitor and then reappear midway through the ocean. And this is so scary. So both the lack of... Evid uh, the lack of information and the information itself sh in the flight tracker should be treated as very important. But as soon as it, also, it confirms yes. the opposite view of a flat Earth model, then it's like, well, the whole thing should be it should be treated with derision. Yes, specifically because the structure of what it proves and disproves. Well, so do you want me to tell you how that works? Yeah, please. So the Department of Defense, oh yeah, uh, right, which right, is also right. responsible for the closing of Antarctica and the development of the GPS and most the of global the flight traffic. positioning system. <laughs> exactly. Global. Uh, it should be the CPS. That clearly the, the, the DOD. The circular positioning system. <laughs> the, the disc Permanent. position. Yeah. Clearly, the DOD is watching Mark Sargent's videos and have caught on to the fact that he has caught on to the fact that they had caught on to the. So, like, Clearly. that's here I'm giving you like a hint of how, like, a lot of conspiracy knowledge works that way, where they just abs absorb new developments into the ideology and say, well, yeah, of course, because they found out that we figured that out. And so they found a way around it. They put themselves think, inside the narrative. They're a character in their own narrative. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's easy to do that here as well, where it's like, well, yeah, but Mark Sargent, that video is from 2016. And so, of course, like the DOD has altered their GPS since so that or even better than that, you can say, well, yeah, OK, maybe those flights exist, but try to get on one. So you know? they, they what what is their take on GPS? Like how how is the physics of global internet communication via satellite figured out? You know, like on a flat Earth. Like, do they think that the satellite technology just doesn't require it being in space? Like, do they believe that it doesn't exist at all? 
Well, they believe that the powers that be know the true shape and substance and map of the Earth. Yeah, but like, how does GPS so they, work? Well, it, I mean, it's 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 an illusion. It's a. I mean, the whole pro- it's a t- the whole project is to watch people and like it's a big human experiment so, or so something. You're G- big. You're on a big petri dish. Then of course they're tracking you. So, and if the powers that be want to hide something from you, I mean, it wouldn't be hard. Who? Who is measuring GPS against a meter stick that they're laying outside their car while they drive? Like, nobody's verifying any of that stuff. We trust GPS because it was given to us by authorities that we trust. But it also, we, we, we trust it because it lines with our physical reality. Like, when we're at the corner of a street and a street, and the GPS confirms that, and we go, you know, around a bend, and we see it, you know, confirm that and everything else, like... It's like that. That's like a very. Well, it's developed you know, by the DOD, so of course yeah. they're going to design it and yeah. offer it such that it conforms to your world. Otherwise, there would be no sense in creating it in the first place. Yeah, the the, the level of like exceptional prowess that a contingent of people are try- have to be able to like fake satellite technology and the information that's like visible and easily transmittable, like because of it. That like I don't know. Yeah, they, they couldn't they, they couldn't even hide that they blew up building seven. So like how can they hide that? Look, they're, that they're I don't need any bleed through. Listen. I don't Oh god. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. need a building fill up, seven. Uh, building, building seven. seven. <laughs> we will do a um we will do a truth realism episode and it will be behind a paywall. I can promise you those two things right now. So if you want to prepare yourself for our nine eleven trutherism episode, <laughs> that's when you go will, to patreon.com yeah, slash yeah. ironweeds. Uh, where, where uh, sign you, up today. You will, and I'm I'm being one hundred percent serious here. Hear the story about how my cousin, and remember, I'm in a Jewish family, was told not to come to work that day. Yes, it's true. <laughs> he says he's in a Jewish family. Yeah, which is like. My family is Jewish. Like, like so you're saying you're ethnically Jewish. <laughs> I'm ethnically <laughs> Jewish. <laughs> <Sorry. Thank you. laughs> no, he was mitzvahed. He was, he was, he was mitzvahed. He was, he was sp- spiritually Jewish. Okay, so we've gotten to distances in the Southern Hemisphere. Maybe the, it, we just have a fat bottom to our ball earth. Like it's fat just like- bottom <laughs> earth, you make the... Rockin' Earth go go round, literally. The last thing is, um, the last thing is maps. Earth got a fat and ass. and they do. <laughs> it kind of is a fat bottom girl if you're yeah. looking. Yeah. So the last thing that um, flat earthers get a little bit hung up on is maps, and um, so like Mark Sargent, this YouTuber we've been talking about, says that the USGS, the US Geological geological survey um uses the flat earth map which is called the azimuthal equidistant projection he says they use it as their official map they don't um i don't know why he said that like you can you can find like that it's not on their website maybe at the time that he made the video they were featuring it more prominently i don't know but and like, then they took it off because someone well truth because they're because the out. dod yeah. found out what yeah you know i mean look you can explain that away however well, what about you the UN? all i can say is that the usgs currently is not using the flat earth map as their official map the un however <gasps> is using 
what flat earthers consider their official map as the emblem of the UN. So there's kind of an interesting story behind this. So the UN map is what's called the Asmuthal, Asmuthal, I don't know how you pronounce it, equidistant projection, which essentially depicts the entire world as a circle and doesn't emphasize one part over another. They pick the neutral point of the pole as the center. Well, so what you get with the azimuthal equidistant projection is that you don't have a tiny Africa and an enormous Greenland and like outsized proportions of the continents because what you've basically done is the the global south is the emptiest part of the globe. It's where it's mostly sea. So by focusing on the North Pole, you actually do get a more proportional notion of the continents because so much of that stretched out space is just ocean anyway. So it's kind of like a little bit, the, the, the better way to do it would be the geodesic breakdown of the map where you would have this weird laid out. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the Dimaxium. The the Dimax- Thank yeah, you, the yeah. Dimaxium. Um, but you can't fit that on a circle. And the designers for the UN logo were trying to make a pin that would be circular because yeah. it's cheaper to produce a circular pin than like some other weird shape. And so they had to kind of walk this fine line between a logo that would, like the original logo that they had, had uh, like the USSR upside down and like cut with like the they, United States yeah. is on top. So like, so they kind of came to this design agreement where they wanted to give every part of the globe like equal representation. Yeah, yeah. Um, but so they don't want to piss anybody off, but it still had to be a circle because they have to make these pins that cost money and the yeah. cheapest pins are circular. The way the Unicode uh, organization came to uh, pass on this was to have four rotations of the Earth emoji. So the emojis are all like um, copyright yeah. free. Like they're just in the commons for the species, mm-hmm. which is fucking dope concept. More things should be in it. But um, they have like the way they got around, like the way that you have to take a ball and put it on a 2D thing to be looked at on a screen is to, like, just have four rotations of the Earth, so it doesn't, right. like, you know... But you can't do that on a pin, unfortunately. No. Well, yeah. so, oh, here, here's... I'm gonna make the most, like, the most... You, you know what, when you have, like, the four-panel galaxy brain... Yes, uh, give meme. me your give yeah. me your hyper but, but galaxy this, brain. But yeah, this is like the one that this goes is the like Buddha eight. body yeah. that's like in yeah. a ohm position yeah, with like, like lights infinite... flashing out of it. Yeah, yeah. The four hemisphere emoji Earth is ID poll compared to the historical materialism of the UN map uh, because everyone gets their own focus on the map that is uh, in competition with the other ones. You can only use one, right, to represent... If you want to say the Earth, right, you have to pick one instead of... Or I guess you could do all four, but there's not one where you get to to do, like, one, like, this is everybody. Yeah, or the Dimaxian. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like, why isn't there a... Like, the Dimaxian emoji would be... Like everybody, universal Earth, but instead you you have to pick between four. Yeah, it's it's divided. Uh, galaxy brain beyond yours, as muthal equidistant projection is the only woke global representation. Fascinating. Yeah, flat Earth map is the only woke representation of the quote unquote globe that exists. The Dimaxian map has w- Wakanda in it. So, uh, so, uh, 
So here's my response to the flat earth conspiracy theory element that says, well, the UN uses a flat earth map. Do you really think that the UN is so fucking dull and so dumb that they would put your secret <laughs> guarded away, like a uh, super unknowable map as their logo? Like, why would they do that? I don't know. Well, to rub it in your face, that. right? Because in case anyone is getting onto them, they'll be like, <laughs> exactly. we're not hiding anything. It's on our flag. No, that is right, exactly yeah. it. No, yeah. that, well, that's, like, how that's every, not even. That's how every conspiracy theory runs, right? That's why that... the pyramid is on the dollar bill. Right, that's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's why, that's why Beyonce gets to be famous. Yes, that's why Beyonce is doing the Illuminati signal yeah. with Jay-Z. Yes, absolutely. Because they're rubbing it. It's a, it's a, it's like a lion's mane. It's a display of power. It's a it's an intimidation technique that lets you know, like, yeah, we know. It's what are you gonna macaroni. do? What are you gonna say? You gonna say the truth and sound like a fucking idiot? You'd sound like a crazy person <laughs> and nobody's ever gonna believe you. Fox Try Mulder. it. Yeah, come on, Fox yeah, exactly. Try it. So that sort of uh I think we've <laughs> we've talked a great deal about flat earth. We're at about a little less than two hours at this point. Sweet. Um, happy New Year, everybody! Happy, happy <laughs> starting new out strong. Year. The new decade, um, new decade, new new planetary body. So, really, to me, like what's left is uh, two things, uh, three things. Uh, oh shit! What are the implications of flat Earth? What if you are a flat earther? What does it mean for your life, your behaviors, the way you move in the world, the way you understand things? Like, how does it change you as a person? To Believe flat earth the second point is uh if again assuming that you were a flat earther why would you think that this is being covered up what are the motivations of again the powers that be to hide flat earth from you and then finally and what i think is really the reason we're all here the purpose for this conversation in the first place because clearly the three of us do not believe in the flat earth so what's important about it is like the socio-political context in which a movement, and I do think it's a movement, like Flat Earth occurs, what is it a manifestation of? What are its effects? Like, why is it here? And what do we do about it? So I guess those are the last kind of three territories that I would like for all of us to go through. And some of those I have insight in, and some of them, some of them I don't. I know I've talked like a lot in this episode, which I kind of feel a little guilty about, but Frankly, like fuck you guys. Make I really space for white men. Make <laughs> <laughs> so I'm really interested in just from like a psychological perspective, I suppose, like how how belief in flat earth changes your perception of everything. And we've touched on this throughout this whole episode about like what would it mean to you if you believed in the flat earth? Like how would that change your ideas about science and the state and god and like what is true and what is important and what is meaningful and this to me is one of the most interesting facets of flat earth because if you believe that we live in a on a flat disc encased by ice walls and a dome it changes the way you think about everything Right. Like, I mean, that would change the way you think about everything. Yeah. And one of the ways that Mark Sargent, the you know YouTuber that we've been talking about, uh, one of the ways that he frames it is what are they hiding? And he says, you know, first of all, they're hiding you because he believes that all of these South American flights are being done off of the GPS system, which is, you know, whatever. Um, 
Second, they are hiding uh, resources because they're blocking us from Antarctica. But most importantly, they're hiding God. That's a huge paradigm shift. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a massive paradigm shift. Yeah, it absolutely does. <laughs> so that's like the question is like, I don't know, are, is it a God necessarily? Or is it like a, you know, Truman Show? It's like literally a television audience that, you know, they could make money off of. So they invested a bunch of capital in building like an artificial town, like under a firmament, yeah. you know? Um, and if that's the case, then, you know, we have plural gods, right? And we're like some weird type of science experiment. Yeah. And, and, and so are most of these people like Christian or I don't know. There's no way to really like, they're, they're, they don't have a homogenous religious worldview okay. at all. Interesting. By any means. It seems like, like any conspiracy theory, I think Flat Earth may, is can, provides an opportunity to feel comfortable because there is someone in control. Even if you are antagonistic to their control, it means that that things are happening for a reason and that there is a higher truth available and you just need to defeat this one antagonist in order to get at the truth. It, it provides a much, I think, a, like a, a lot of orienting abilities that that or it provides an orientation that even though like your antagonist the person that the 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 forces the system the powers that be right are infinitely powerful that's better than just like no one is in power and the universe is chaotic everything is chaos yeah yeah i see what you're saying there but i i I have to say in my experience of flat earthers through forum posts and youtube channels and everything else I don't sense a lot of antagonism to whatever powerful creator has made the dome. No, I, th- where I the think antagonism, the antagonism is in the state that's hiding it. Where the yeah. antagonism lies is in these powerful entities that are keeping us from the truth. Right. Which yeah. is an, kind of interesting because wouldn't you think that if, if you truly believed that we are encased in this terrarium, the snow globe, mm-hmm. um, wouldn't you be kind of pissed off at God for allowing this creation and whatever you imagine God to be, whether you think of them as scientists in lab coats or, you know, like uh, some kind of like dark Lovecraftian entity that just for whatever reason laughs laughs at our suffering. Mm -hmm. Like, wouldn't you be furious at that thing if you believe that we live in a flat earth encased in a dome? Like, yeah, it seems like you would still have all these like, um, it seems like there's sort of like these still really old uh arguments about like you know, like why do good things happen to bad people yeah kind of ar- arguments that like are very much left intact by flat earth yeah cosmology right but uh, but it, but even then it's like well but there is possibly like a a powerful entity that we could get at and ask all of these pressing questions about why good things happen to bad people and or and vice versa um and, yeah. but but it is but the government the powers that be keep you from accessing that eternal truth giver. Well, and here's like one way to look at it from a flat earth perspective is that we are mice in a maze in a maze, right? We mm-hmm. are, we are um, primates in a cage being tested on. And so that, and that's a, a really important, like I, I spoke earlier about if you put a bunch of animals in a nature preserve, most of the animals will not give two shits about the fence, but a human being will give, many shits about the fence right so this is part of i think what flat earth is for flat earthers is that 
they see themselves as a creature in a controlled environment being monitored. Mm. And there is, I think, a type of comfort in that. It means you're important. Well, it means you're important, but it also does a much better job than Christian theology, Jewish theology, any of the major theologies at explaining why bad things happen. Bad things happen because you're in a fucking maze and they want bad things to happen to you because that's the fucking point. That's the test. That's the reason that you exist is to... Instead of totally meaningless shit happening to you, that's both good and bad, and there's no control over it. It's actually there's a plan. So this and brings this thing, me all to these good and bad things happen to you th- because so, for some larger purpose. This brings us to my favorite part of Mark Sargent's entire theory and approach to flat Earth, which is that, and and we've we've hinted at it throughout this whole episode, and now here's where I kind of drop the truth bomb, which is that the purpose of this enclosed environment in which we all live is to create diversities of culture and a kind of creative force that results in art and learning and science, whatever we consider, whatever our conceptions of science are. And this, this sort of um, variety of, of understanding and approaches to the world. And that's why we have eclipses and deserts, and tides, and volcanoes, and all of these beautiful wonders of the world, they were created for us so that we would reflect upon them and make art, and science, and life, and all of the fun things about being a human. We wouldn't have those if we didn't live in this vastly complex natural environment. So for Mark Sargent, that is the explanation. So like the, the kind of the question that nags at you from the edges of flat earth is like, why, why, why are we in this snow globe? Why are they hiding it from us? Like, how did, it, how did we get here? And Mark Sargent is the only flat earth theorist that I've come across who gives a satisfying answer to that, which is the creative force underlying all of it. It makes us behave in new and interesting ways. Hmm. And, and he dedicates a whole video to this, right? Where he, he it starts does, off, yes. it starts off with saying like pe- people have like called me <laughs> and emailed me and 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 stuff and written me letters that say like this makes me very depressed that there are these powers that are like keeping us from the truth. When he said, and he his reply is that you should actually take joy in the fact that or feel joy in the fact that that like you are part of a grand experiment of creativity by yeah or something yeah and, i mean th- that sounds like a like a star trek like the star trek episodes with q in them actually mm-hmm. more like, like like the voyager one where there's a uh the what the one q that wants to commit suicide or something and you uh uh and you find that q right the race of these omnipresent all-powerful like beings demigods, yeah. yeah um are bored are mostly bored because they've literally done everything Right, like you can be a amoeba, you can be a uh, a galaxy. You can you, like, change anything you want in the yeah, whole universe. You've experienced yeah. not only one universe, but but the multiverse. Like you've experienced everything in all of its shapes and sizes. You are infinitely uh, big and small, and all these different things. So you're saying you're right. pickle Rick? Yeah, right. Yeah, you're pickle Rick, right? And yeah. um, and then like the only thing that they have left is to fuck with humans because in humanities well well not just humans but like you know uh uh species higher species with a higher cognitive function yeah yeah it's like sentient species they they fuck with sent with sentient beings this troll 
Yeah, yeah, because that Troll through the cosmos, through time and space. <laughs> <laughs> because that's truly the only thing that you cannot predict. And yeah. that and that is itself interesting to look at is how these animals like react to external stimuli. So, you know, if Star Trek says it then, you know, I guess it's true. <laughs> yeah. Well, when you think of our own like scientific experiments, we put bacteria in petri dishes with plastic to try to find out if they'll eat it yeah and, we watch like slime you know, mold do we know that the bacteria is going to eat the plastic well the not if we put it in there with them and yeah. so what is our purpose on this disc maybe it's just to extract resources so that they can at some point be harvested by whoever built this place for us who knows like somebody told a fucked up uh, uh story to me where they're like actually humans are just um the organism that's the earth gaia mother is using to uh turn all of its carbon uh you know fossil fuels into uh free carbon dioxide on the planet i love that theory <laughs> i love it so much like, we're, like we're just a natural evolution of that goal and, and that as fits to why very that, nicely with flat earth yeah like as to why they would want that it would want that goal like oh you know who knows well, it's beyond our understanding. Yeah, exactly. In the same ways that so many of the life forms that we put into little petri dishes and watch how they behave, yeah. we are far beyond their understanding. Yeah, could you like imagine a, a, figuring out a better way to turn all of your fossil fuels into atmospheric carbon dioxide than Dude, evolving? You're speaking the flat Earth language. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And this is why David earlier you said like it makes you very big and special, and I would say it also makes you very small and insignificant at the same time in ways that are really uh, important for us to understand right. from a, like a sociopolitical perspective, because like flat earth creates so many imaginative possibilities in terms of what are like the meaning of our lives and our purpose here. And there's, you know, I mean, there, there's a lot to be tinkered with there that, that, that is fun and that is not cynical. Um, people tend to dismiss flat earth as like a, solely um anti-science anti-authoritarian and it is those things it absolutely is those things but it's also more than that it's sort of like a palette to play with it's like a yeah. it's like a creative surface yeah it's a metaphor and you know like the shape of the earth is actually the source of uh and you know distribution of surplus value you know in, in the market you know it's like <laughs> so that actually is interesting because that brings us to the question. So now we've talked about like how belief in a flat earth changes your approach to the world, right? And the meaning of life. But so why are the powers that be hiding the flat earth from us? That's where Which they is store really... the profits. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a very important question. It's yeah, at the yeah. heart of flat eartherism. Like, why? I mean, if you come to believe in flat earth, why is all of this being hidden from us? And it's a fairly obvious answer that is totally wrapped up in what I consider to be an anti-capitalist, anti-elitist, anti-greed philosophy, which is that if the powers that be were to admit tomorrow that the earth is flat and we're enclosed in a dome with antarctica on all of our sides um you would have a massive upheaval of society but you would also shut down huge sectors of the economy yeah including nasa which to flat earthers is essentially a money laundering operation like you know for flat earth what is nasa it is money laundering it is pumping huge amounts of money into a bogus faux operation 
that is just a, a mechanism for the rich to create their own wealth. Can you imagine being a cosmologist? Like you're like just about to retire, you know, you've been a tenured professor in some cosmology department writing books on black holes and like everything. <laughs> and then like you just find out tomorrow the government's like fucking Donald Trump. Yeah. Like my fellow Amer my fe my fellow Americans. I have to tell you something. They don't want me to tell you. They don't want me to tell you. I gotta tell you. The earth, it's flat. It's flat, people. It's beautiful. I've seen the edge. It's in Antarctica. Very cold. No one goes there. Very cold. No one goes there. Our space force, very powerful, very good, very perfect, beautiful, very, very beautiful people that go into space. They, they haven't they found pierced space the firmament. They will, though. We know they will. The firmament, very big. I feel like if, very he, strong. if he literally said all these things, people would just forget it. It would be like two days. <laughs> two it would days be totally past. lost in yeah. the space cycle. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But so the flat earth theory is that like these things are hidden from us because they would be massive upheavals in society that would not benefit those institutions, organizations, people, whatever, those power structures that benefit from the status quo. So so I, I, I think this is this might be a time to bring in uh, some some science studies, like yeah. some, some work that, that I, I did in a past life about like, you know, the 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 so the social science of the work of science right like ha like instead of studying remote tribes or um uh you know gender dynamics you know like studying how science works as a social phenomenon as a as an institution right and uh w one of the fundamental um thinkers on, on that topic is thomas kuhn and his book that's actually sitting in front of me the structure of scientific revolutions is actually a pretty useful way to think about why flat earth is like shows up now right and there's there's three concepts from kuhn that i think are useful one is the idea of, of a paradigm right and a paradigm is just like the all of like the, it's the the rules in a board game right it is all the things that you take for granted that let you do it's like brick for sheep yeah right yeah brick for <laughs> brick for sheep uh shoots make you go down and ladders make you go up you know like, uh, luxury tax luxury tax uh yeah the the immortal science of monopolies luxury tax yeah yeah but um right you uh uh so you so that's the paradigm within the par the paradigm lets you do what's called normal science right which is uh what kuhn describes as alternatively mopping up and puzzle solving, right? So you come up with some sort of paradigm, uh, usually in the third term, which is called a revolution, right? You have a scientific revolution. We talk about like, you know, Copernicus starting the, revol you know, the, the heliocentric, uh, a heliocentric model. model and there's a whole scientific revolution around that or, or uh, uh, Maxwell's equations around electromagnetism, mm -hmm. right? Uh, Louis Pasteur and, and the bacteria, all this stuff right um the, these are all moments that uh are very disruptive and they create a structure in which you can like now tinker around the edges and like refine the model and that's mostly what he what he calls the puzzle solving right you you're like oh well if this is all true then like there are these clear uh voids that you need to fill right like, like well if this is true and that's true then this third thing must be true QED. yeah qed this must be true right. but we've never seen it or found it or uh, or but we've or already accepted it. this model so yeah. it must be yeah and so now we'll do experiments to prove that that 
third thing is actually true, right? And, and then, then that shores up the paradigmatic right. structure of, of all of it. Yeah, and then there's also, like, mopping up, where it's like, oh, okay, well, if we're going to take a heliocentric model of the of the universe, right, or the solar system, then, like, oh, okay, well, the way that Ptolemy uh, 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 structured all, like, the transit of Mercury and all these other things, like, that doesn't make sense now, because we had this other system that we were this very highly complex system that that was actually fairly accurate for most things. A lot of the stuff still worked, and they used Ptolemaic models for engineering because it was good enough, and, mo- and a lot of people knew it for a long time after Copernicus. For engineering, what kind of? Or like like uh, like, sh- uh, like uh, um, either uh, you know like uh, navi- navigating sh- okay. for ships, or uh, you know if you wanted to align a building under some sort of east west ac- you know, some sort of axis to the stars or something like that like a lot of that stuff would still work right but there were a few things that did not work like the transit of mercury and stuff like that and that's when the copernican model solved all these things and made the whole system a lot more elegant right because the the um ptolemaic model was very uh confusing like you'd have like all these really like backwards ass occasion it it had circular orbits right yeah all the orbits were circular and you like so like all these things that makes sense on just an elliptical uh uh pattern where it's like moving in opposite directions or something like that instead you have to like imagine that it's moving in like nine different circles it, mm. and it also cleaned up a lot of models that in the previous one you could like figure out you could predict where heavenly bodies would be but it was like very very confusing Whereas there was the no Copernican, mechanism for explaining why they did the things they, they did. They also, you also couldn't say why, but you could predict where they would go, but the Copernican model w- was like just much more elegant and, and accurate. Yeah, it turns yeah. out once you decenter yeah. Earth, right. yeah, everything lot, makes fucking sense. Fall into yeah, place. like yeah. a lot of shit yeah. starts to make sense. So, um, right, and so that's a revolution. And then, and now like, but the, the part of the mopping up is like, oh shit, well now all these other explanations for things don't make sense in this new model. So you have to now mm. find new mm. arguments, right? Uh, and, and 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 what what I see happening with flat Earth, right? It's not a revolu- It's not a scientific revolution <laughs> in the sense it's that a personal scientific right, revolution yeah. for all but, the people but, involved. But the thing about scientific revolutions is that they're not just about like discovering something new, like absent social conditions, right? It's also usually a part of a historical or social like event that pushes these the the study of these different models right so like the for example the copernican revolution is also deeply connected to um calendar reform and how lots of governments wanted to create new calendars that that had a lot to do with you know how we studied you know, when seasons and and months and years began and ended. And so you, you also had push from something that was not scientific at all to, like, start understanding the sun and the moon and, and seasons and, and uh, um, daylight savings time and stuff like that. Like, all much, much more, uh, you know, like, there was much more push Practical matters that. Yeah, are... Yeah, lots of practical are, matters. Yeah. That or the fact that, you know, you look at the Principia and... Uh, all pretty much all of the examples are like cannons from ships. What is the Principia? Uh, sorry, that's a um, Mathematica. It's the Isaac yeah. Newton book that he laid down the natural laws of physics and okay. also calculus. described calculus yeah, for the first that. time. Yeah, uh, in Western literature, yeah. I guess it, it yeah. had been previously and I think simultaneously 
discovered by somebody else. Uh, it always yeah, is. It's, it's, yeah. also, it's also always like, three motherfuckers yeah, yeah. at some point Science, in the world discovering some, something. There's a lot of like yeah, per, Persian yeah. mathematicians that I'm are sorry, also doing ahead. this. Yeah, but um, yeah, but if you look at like the Principia, Newton's like talking about nothing but like uh trajectories of of cannonballs and stuff like that and so calculus is actually is very very useful for um shooting things <laughs> right? yeah. and like hitting the target yeah right and it's not it's not that's not why uh we get calculus but it was a motivating factor for figuring calculus out right, right? is that there are these very useful reasons for it and yep. sometimes that can change the parameters or the distinctions of like why a, a field takes the shape that it does right is like what what is it useful for solving mm-hmm. and so for flat so when we think of flat earth there's like well what what is it solving or what problem is it resolving and i think i think it has a lot to do with uh not uh, a believing in authority or having this like or the the crisis Deep of legitimacy of, yeah. yeah a crisis of legitimacy of institutions I think is the is actually the problem that flat earth solves well there's also this whole thing of wanting or needing there to be an outside observer besides human beings um you know like i love the idea of like spaceship earth which is like as far as i can tell really solid and you know uh, a consensus that like spaceship earth can you yeah just we're we're on a spaceship we're traveling through space really fast and it's crazy and, and, then, and that was the thesis of a buckminster fuller book that could buy the same name yeah know, spaceship yeah. earth yeah and that this is the so far as we can tell the only habitable um space in the entire cosmos for human beings to live and that we are united in being fellow passengers on this uh, spaceship and because it is in such an inhospitable environment the preciousness of the hospitality that it offers should be like taken with like the most severe gravity like possible so i think the idea of being in a firmament um would be similar to the fact that we actually are in a firmament but it's not a so hard for a firmament it's a soft dying firmament which is the rest of space like going into space like you're you that's not where humans are able to live easily but that's seemingly where our species is like putting all of its hopes and and and, and final bets is like the idea of like yeah we're gonna like cook this planet you know blah blah, blah. and if you really believe that there wasn't space you'd think that you might be able to like rally enough people. But at the same time, if you were a flat earther, you'd think that there'd be some reason like a God or a television audience or, you know, something that creator, a designer. Yeah. That is, has created this situation you find yourself in where the whole planet is on a disc and, you know, not a planet at all. And like within a, a glass cage or, you know, some impenetrable fortress, then you could get too awry. Because there'd be like controlling forces. So maybe, but you know, my counter to that is, and this is one of the reasons that I think flat earth is not comforting is that imagine like you are playing the Sims and you build a pool and your Sims get in it (laughs) and you pull the ladder out. And does that really make you give a shit? That's global warming. (laughs) <laughs> that is not like i mean honestly yeah, like yeah, depending yeah. on how that and so that raises the question of like how important really are you to whoever made our disc and our terrarium and our snow globe and yeah. whatever else i mean 
all of that is only comforting if you think that they think that we're valuable or important. And anybody who's ever paid any attention to animal testing and biological research with petri dishes or the sims or (laughs) like anything else about like what do humans create that they can observe and test and like learn from we don't treat them particularly (laughs) well so in what way can it possibly be comforting to live on a flat earth that is a petri dish for some creator for some designer like that I think a lot of people do find it very comforting because it makes you feel bigger than what you actually are, which is a bacterium on a ball shooting through space. But there is another element to it, I think, that, you know, is just as important, which is if we live on a flat Earth, then we're just amoeba to something else. Yeah. But even in that respect, well, there's like two things. Well, like one, mm, humbling. Yeah, it's yeah, uh, obviously. But uh, uh, yeah, uh, but then like at least you are the humble uh, participant in a larger, important uh, narrative, narrative yeah. or sure. experiment, right? Yeah. And so you're even your insignificant life had some sort of meaning as far as like the experiment matters. But then the flip side is that like, oh, okay, is there climate change? Well, yeah, like this is part of the experiment. Like, I don't... Sure. Uh, you know, like, and, and there, I guess, like, you could have the reaction of, like, oh, and the experiment is to save the flat Earth. Right? From <laughs> or change. the experiment or, is to see how long it takes, takes to... Right. Or yeah. figure out just how we can manage to nuke the firm. Right. <laughs> and just break out. Yeah. Maybe yeah. that's the whole thing. We gotta right. figure out how to get yeah. out of this flat Earth. And, you know... Yeah, and they're just, like, watching, like, wow, they gave up on nuclear weapons really fast. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it took them four years. Yeah, it's like inspiring, like a uh, fanatical war on the uh, the, the southern pole of uh, Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, it's just everybody fucking like uh, rush the rush the exterior. Yeah. They can't catch we're, all of us. We're we're gonna fire GoPros on rockets. They're gonna get up at least a hundred thousand feet. Oh, we're gonna take some photos. We're gonna see over the on wall. Area forty-one, but like yeah. more coordinated. Fifty-one. Area fifty-one. Yeah, I feel like if if uh, all the flat earthers were really about it, that would be exactly what they talk about at their flat earth conventions. Like, yeah. all right, how are we going to get over this wall, folks? Yeah, they don't, though. Surprisingly enough, they really yeah. don't. I think uh, that, because they take as fact yeah. that it's impossible. And so what's the yeah. point of even what's the point if you were a flat earther? It kind of like there's no longer any point in talking about how to get beyond it. Like, yeah. you, you kind oh, of have to that, the basic premise is that you can't. Because something much more powerful and intelligent than you has made it so that you totally definitely cannot. That sounds like cucked shit. <laughs> you know, I can penetrate it's... anything. <laughs> <laughs> I will penetrate that for a minute. I'll show you. Uh, th- this, what was the uh, thing that, who is it that Oprah had on? Uh, maybe it was Marianne Williamson. Maybe that's why this is in recent Are memory. you mixing up Oprah and... Uh, no, no, Marianne Williamson was on like, Oprah. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, okay. That was okay. Like how she was introduced to America, yeah. uh, by and large. But um, there was something, and it may have been her, but it may have not Elizabeth been. Warren, too. Yeah, that was talking about how people's greatest fear is not that they are, uh, you know, disempowered and that they have no control over the important things in their life. It's that, um, that they, in fact, actually are like demigods, but it takes just a lot of effort to like actualize. 
because like then suddenly everybody's in responsibility uh, it, it, it directly responsible for the material conditions that they are witnessing right it's and, worse to have control and not know what to do than to not know what to do and have no control yeah yeah and also just the responsibility of right. of ma- managing you know the resources and policies of the human race in the year 2020 you know like that's a heavy burden to take on yeah. and like you know when you think about like the ideas of climate change or you know any type of like serious um existential risk for our species like global weapon or nuclear weapon uh and figuring out like how to deal with those there's like a serious gravity to to it all uh but the idea of being like oh we're like not that powerful there's like things that are more powerful than us it's like this r- relaxation of like responsibility of being in this incredibly scary moment uh and actually being responsible for the outcome you know like there's like yeah. a, a comfort so that people's greatest fear is that they actually can change the world you know and if they're not it's because like they're fucking up and copping out you know yeah i i guess that yeah like speaking of copping out i think like one of the things that maybe frustrates me the most about flat earth is not that they like they're doing science wrong but it's actually that they're doing science the process of science fairly well except for the fact that they you know they have like, con- a lot of- they have like they have like a confirmation bias problem where they're right. like constantly looking for evidence but to many scientists the- yeah have but, that but, well. right but yeah. see here's the thing though right is like that's what i was getting to is that sci- a lot of scientists have confirmation bias by the simple fact that you know like if you were to take out flat earth and replace it with like you know fossil fuel consumption or uh maintaining uh, chronic illnesses instead of curing them right like these are all yeah, modern pharmaceuticals yeah, yeah, tons of psychology yeah, like, yeah. yeah all of that is predicated on a paradigm a scientific paradigm where people do normal science around it to like make better and better pharmaceuticals that manage conditions right but there's never a revolutionary point where you break the paradigm and reestablish a new one where people not only have like different scientific interests but they have new material interests as well and their and and their social relationships change dramatically based on uh you know uh, what what they're able able to prove and how they're able to climb up in the in the status hierarchy because uh kuhn says that um in moments of scientific revolution scientists themselves um have a very very tenuous and precarious uh um uh professional life like they they can come fall in and out of prestige and relative like physical comfort yeah easy come easy go yeah very very quickly right because like you could you could make like your whole uh um uh profession on this like one theory and if that theory is disproven you have nothing to fall back on right like you've already oh yeah this whole thing so scientific pot committed yeah so you're going to defend it for personal reasons not even though like you know institutionally science is meant to disprove things but there's also a lot of reasons to keep things proven right you know it's a or to at least not disprove things and that can even go all the way way back to like how we design scientific instruments that assume certain calibrations or like you know like the things that you're going to do with them and what they are good for you know uh, it can also shape yeah, I mean, we've talked about this uh, on the pod, but like currently men are more likely to be the subjects of clinical trials because they are considered to be uh, less problematic than yeah. women. They have fewer variables, which is actually not biologically true. It's just that the 
the quote unquote female variables are considered more troublesome than any of the male biological yeah. variables. And, they, yeah, and, I mean, and they're mostly troublesome in the first place because we start science started from a position from of masculinity. masculinity. Yeah. Yes, exactly. yeah. And so that, that's what's frustrating about flat earth, right? Is that like it is the this, this same motion and it, it has like the fervor of a scientific revolution, but it's it's totally misplaced into like something that can definitely call into question a lot of institutions, right? But it's to what not, aim, yeah. Yeah, like, but like to what aim, like what is it actually accomplishing i you know it doesn't really seem it doesn't really yeah. seem to be doing a lot of work and that's why like a lot of people call call into play the uh dunning kruger yeah effect um the less you know the more you think you know yeah, yeah. kind of model but like that's really to me not at play in flat earth at all because there is a vast like, wealth I don't know shit. <laughs> no 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 not that it's that there is a vast wealth of flat earth knowledge that you have to internalize oh yeah even yeah. it and it's not even that any of it is it, it what's meaningful about it is not that it's false it's that it's hard to counteract given the parameters of flat earth theory itself yeah you know also like let's be fair there's a lot of people who are out there just trolling you know people know that like people get really you know upset i think there are fewer flat earth trolls than any other conspiracy theory i think that the vast majority more so than any other conspiracy theory i think the vast majority of flat earthers you come across online are sincere very earnest I think they're yeah. very, they're very earnest folk. I, so I, I, this reminds me of like something that the, the professor that taught me, uh, Kuhn said quite often was that, you know, um, it, both, uh, witchcraft and modern Western science can get you, uh, you can use both to get to the moon, but only one has a better chance of working. Uh, which is not to say that witchcraft doesn't do useful work. But it's it's not going to help you get to the moon, necessarily. Yeah, you know, I agree. And I think another way to look at it is that um, both science and witchcraft can explain the tides, but only one will get you to the moon. Right, yeah, that's, and a, any, that's a good way to put it. You know, and this probably comes from Star Trek, whatever, but like any <laughs> sufficiently advanced technology will appear to, a, a, you know, quote unquote, lower life form as witchcraft. Is magic yeah, just just to the ignorant? You know, it's that way with humans. You know, you could show yeah, me something absolutely. I don't understand, and um, it's pretty much magic. That's why magic makes me so angry. <laughs> um, is it, it's it's a trick on you. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't. You, you, I don't understand it. Yeah. We talked on the long time listeners yeah, yeah. will know that magic makes me very angry. <laughs> but so this is uh, it's, it's actually uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur said, C. Clarke. Thank that. you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I knew somebody smarter than me had said it. But so I guess this, this, so this sort of, at this point, God, we have almost three hours of tape. We should probably shut the fuck up and get to the end of this episode. Um, to me, uh, you might have noticed we didn't spend a ton of time debunking Flat Earth. I don't find that particularly interesting. If you are interested in that, there are approximately 7.3 million websites that have already done that. There are plenty of explainers on Vox and BuzzFeed and Scientific American and everything else that will tell you why Flat Earth is dumb. And do your own research, folks. It's all out there. Do your own research. Um, To me, what's much more interesting about Flat Earth is how 
like really kind of, I think, sturdy that it is. Like it's really <laughs> got a lot of bones in terms of how it conceives of the world. And those bones are built of a current like socio-political cultural moment in which you really can't trust anything, including your own eyes, including, you know, the, the photographs in front of your face, including anybody who's in any position of authority in front of you who is like, what, what, what knowledge, did, what sacred knowledge do they have that you don't have? You can't trust the sky. You cannot. What are you going to trust? Who are you going to trust? Me or the firmament? <laughs> um, and that is very uh, indicative of a, of a much bigger kind of cultural moment that we're in to me. And that's why Flat Earth is the alpha and omega of conspiracy theories. It renders everything else irrelevant. If the Earth is flat and the powers that be are hiding it from us, who gives a fuck who killed JFK? Who gives a <laughs> shit if 9-11 was an inside job? It doesn't fucking matter that the CIA assassinated MLK. It doesn't even matter if that stupid zeitgeist documentary about Jesus being a compilation of 12 different prophets in the Middle East at the time matters. None of that shit matters because they are hiding God. That's why I love Flat Earth. So I guess close, if we're doing kind of closing thoughts on this, I, I think one of the, the things that are it's most important about like why you shouldn't just gawk at Flat Earth or laugh at them, but to at least understand what the hell is going on here is because it, it seems to be such a it's a it's it's a good um, exercise in these different in competing paradigms and that and, it, and it's very good to sh it's very good way of showing how um, uh, meaning comes before facts that you have a, a a structure of meaning and then you take facts as you see them and put them into the structure uh, whereas most liberals think that you take facts and then the facts build into a structure right and so you can uh, get people to vote differently or act differently by showing them facts and the facts will be self-evident to make you go do something different right but in flat earth uh, in the same way that you would say that, you know, like, well, you know, Trump is a corrupt politician or something like that. They're just two completely different structures of of meaning. And you can take the same fact and they play out completely differently in the two structures. Mm -hmm. You know, you're playing two totally different games. Yeah. And so in the same way... You're working way, under two different paradigms. Right. Two different paradigms, right? And so in the same way that you can tell a flat earther, like, oh, well, why don't... Like, the you know, uh, uh, a... A solar eclipse is good evidence that we're living on a globe, right? And they have a whole reason why that's not true. In the same way, you can go to Trump, uh, to a Trump supporter and say he's evidently broken the emoluments clause or whatever. And then the Trump person says, like, well, everyone has broken the emoluments Who clause. Who cares about that clause? Why, are, why what does are we, that matter yeah, anyway? Like, why are we now caring about that now with him? It's because you don't like him because he's trying to drain the swamp, right? Like, draining the swamp is analogous to like the firmament right where it's like well of course smash them right you can't show me anything that will disprove either of these things because the very fact that they are the way that they are actually proves my point that everything is fake right, right. yeah it's it, and and so if you can if you understand flat earth in that way i think uh you at least i, I think I, I don't know i feel like you understand so many more things about it tells you a lot about world. knowledge creation in yeah. general and yeah. perceptions of truth and like what is and 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 to me like flat earth's big 
uh, value as a, a sort of like a, a lens to look through is like, what is meaningful to people? Right. That's what it really at the heart of it tells you. Yeah. Is because that I- people want to be, they want things to be simpler than they are. And that's a, flat earth is like a very big kind of like popular conception of Occam's razor. Like it's gotta be more simple than this. There's no way that we're on this fragile, delicate ball hurtling through space at millions and millions of miles an hour and all of these complex things like it, that. That's just it's it doesn't speak to a lot of people. So you start telling people about like, you know, cosmology and like or even ecology or like anything like when you really get down into the details and people are like, nah. yeah i i don't know i think that uh you were talking about what does it say for our time and i think there's a modern anti-intellectualism which is you know comes originally from you know our very mixed up uh like especially in this country like national like personality where it's like yeah my ignorance is as good as your knowledge like Mm -hmm. like look at all the evidence of how our world is just what we create in our minds and like, tell me I'm wrong and like, tell me why it matters. And like the vast majority of things, like I can't really say that, you know, it's like in the same way that there isn't, we don't live in like a direct democratic society and we're not like individually or, you know, beholden onto each other to have like a consensus about like the important things, you know, in, in life. So like we you know like we don't even really vote on policy, right? So the idea of me trying to convince, you know, a fellow traveler in this world of like my particular brand of politics and like to try to get them onto my side, it's like it's a hard fought battle because like we don't really either of us have agency. So like what's the point? So this idea that we, you know, can create whatever universe we're living in and it doesn't really matter, like nothing really matters. And like you know, I can believe that the world is flat. Like, who gives a fuck? It's like, very low stakes. You know, it's low stakes in the sense that it it's like reflective of a society where, like, largely, we're it's all low stakes. Like, we're so complex. And we're so like, you know, the the average person just on the street, their opinion of like reality, it doesn't matter. Almost like well, you know that they're in a completely a, different reality yeah, than you. You know, we've built a world for ourselves where beliefs are always low stakes because yeah. beliefs have little to no impact on the material reality of the world in which we yeah, live. Yeah, and our behavior is so conscripted to the material reality that we're in. I'm like, you know, it's like, fuck. I think like, it's, it really... it's not unlike why like anti-vaxxing is is on the rise. It's uh, not, you know, I, I mean... The age of conspiracy is is um, flourishing for all of those reasons, yeah. which is it's pretty low stakes to have bonkers, outrageous Plus, beliefs. Plus, reality is pretty fucking bonkers. And, and there's it is, so yeah, many absolutely. proven conspiracy theories. That doesn't help. Yeah, and help. you know what? In 15 us. years, when we all find out that Antarctica is fucking 1,500 <laughs> miles high. And, and continuous. And the ceiling is made of like high-density polymer. We're all going to be... Egg on our faces. Yeah, I'm gonna be like, like so embarrassed idiot. about this episode. <laughs> We're gonna be so fucking embarrassed about this episode. Uh, Thank you. So we have at this point almost three hours of tape, so we need to go. Um, thank you so much for listening to our flat Earth episode. 
Uh, we, we made it. We hope, yeah, you, <laughs> we made it. We hope that you enjoyed it uh, more than we did. Go, no, no, go. we we love. I loved it. Yeah, I, I, loved I thought it. it was great. And I, now I, I really want to go home and watch the core. Oh, that's oh right. yeah, yeah. That, that, like, it was like what was that like fifteen years ago? That yeah. movie where maybe more it might even be like was that a flat old. Earth movie? I'd also like to watch the Abyss. That's a really yeah. good movie. But, like the core came out the same time as uh, like Armageddon and yeah. uh, Deep Impact, where they're like, what if instead of the problem came from the sky, it came from under the ground? The core is a horrible. Yeah, movie. it's an awful <laughs> movie. It's where the the core of the Earth uh, shuts down and they have to reignite. With, oh, with nukes? Earth, with nukes, yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Putting off their own nuclear uh, reactors under yeah. the center of the Earth 60, to restart six, the core. 69 nukes. Nice. So nice. you're telling me yeah. we're going to okay. hack the planet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah. we really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did like it and you want more content similar to it, this is a really, really uh, time-intensive episode. Um, a lot of work went into it. And so if you liked it and you would want more episodes similar to it you should support us on patreon.com slash ironweeds and you can find us on twitter ironweedspod you can find us on instagram ironweedspod you can send us an email at ironweedspod at gmail.com if yeah. you want to give us a one-time donation yeah that's at uh, uh buymecoffee.com slash ironweeds that's correct yeah and we have a reoccurring patreon stuff yeah patreon.com slash ironweeds yep that's one more time for you yep we might do another conspiracy theory episode that's behind the Patreon paywall. So who knows? Keep your eyes peeled for that. Well, don't worry. We'll rub it in your fucking face uh, before we launch it. So. And we have a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. Until next time. Okay. Bye. Uh, thank you. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. Do you want to say peace? Peace. You always say peace. Yeah, I do. You have to say peace. Peace. <laughs>